The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome in PFF NFL Podcast. I'm popping. Mm-hmm. Steve Pelzola here with Sam Monson. Wow, you're too loud all the yeah. time. You're too loud. I'm not too loud. I've well turn turn me down. Turn you down. How we do? Turn everybody down. Week nine. Yeah, week nine of the NFL season in the books. So it we're is. more than halfway through. Yes, yes, for the first time. Are we officially more than halfway through the That's NFL week nine, season. Right? Yeah, man. Let's get into it. It was a a bit of a smaller week overall. Okay. Um. Do you have anything else to discuss, actually? Any banter? No. No. No No banter today? No banter. You? I just want to say thank you. For what? You lent me your uh, massage gun thingy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For for YMCA recovery. (laughs) So we hooped it up on Friday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my quest for to become a high-end... People will know these things, right? Because they're everywhere on, like, Instagram and Facebook. These, like, ridiculous gun things yeah like fire into the muscle and you know would do whatever they do yeah so it saved your calf you right. lo- you lent it to me my calf was giving me jip and ra- it. lent it to rather me. than rather than investigate like a physio because it kept happening right and it wasn't even yeah. like i was pulling it it was just it would get this is not an ad by the way no, not an ad stupidly so i don't even know who the company is that made that thing so maybe I we should it if i tried maybe we should pick them up as a sponsor yeah for me but rather than like investigate a proper physio and drive somewhere and you know get some guy to grind on my calf, I was like, well, let's let's buy one of these things, right? Let's yeah take the pneumatic drill to it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, well, you know, I'm screwed anyway. And if it does, it probably costs about the same, and I'll have it, you know, long term. Yeah. And it worked. I went to town on my calf with this thing. Like, turns out your decision, and it hasn't hasn't been sore since. So it saved your calf. Yep. And I'm over here. It takes me a week to recover from one game. Right. You lo- you know, loaned it, lent it to me. So now I'm like, well, I've got this thing sitting here that I bought for a calf that's been fine since I used it. So you might as well just go nuts, Steve. It's a game changer. You're sitting there watching NFL football, just uh, grinding away at all your sore spots. It's great. Hmm. So I feel good. So my quest to become a high-end Y player? Yeah. Moving in the right direction. Firing. Like I say, you, you felt like you were back to your early 30s again. Well, yeah, this, yeah absolutely. You shaved a good couple of years off. It, it really did. Right? Like 40s much further and further away now. Yeah. And uh, I feel good about that. I think if I just start training a little bit more, you got the recovery component going. Uh-huh. Um, 
I hit a lefty hook the other day. I mean, it's all going well. Yeah, you're playing well. High-end high-end wide player. Mm -hmm. And you, most improved player. (laughs) Like in PFF terms, we said you're creeping up towards 50. Right. Like a 50 50 overall. 50 would be a big benchmark for me. If I could get above 50 on a consistent basis, that would be monstrous given my starting point. You started with like a Garrett Bradbury week one pass blocking. Right. I started with the elf line Bradbury, you know, single digits area. Yeah. And I've been creeping up. If you started there, maybe you're not at 40 yet, but we're getting there. God, really? We're getting there. All right. Let's get into the week nine action. Let's start. uh, Let's remember what happened Thursday night. San Francisco 49ers remain undefeated. Now the last remaining undefeated team, 28-25. Over the Arizona Cardinals, this was the best game of the season by Jimmy Garoppolo, just consistently making plays on third down, tight pressure, just a good feel. I mean, this was this was like the Garoppolo game that the Niners were waiting for, and that's scary because they they've been doing it most of the time. They've yeah. been doing it with him just playing okay for the majority of the season. Yeah, that's what we're saying is that, you know, the, it's kind of frightening because their quarterback isn't playing particularly well, yeah. at least up until this point. Um, and if he does, like, that becomes a real problem for everybody else because they're already tough to stop, and the quarterback, the most important player on the team, has not been playing particularly well. But, yeah, he was in this game. George Kittle remains absurdly good. Um, Buda Baker made a couple of plays on him earlier in the game, so then Kittle just took him out behind a woodshed for a touchdown, beat him like twice in that the same play, roasted impressive. him off the line, and then stiff-armed him to the ground later in the play. Um, yeah, Kittle is a beast. Yeah, Kittle's pretty awesome. You know, the Cardinals, I, I just think they're they're just a little overmatched right now. Your boy Andy Isabella, though, tried to keep them in it. Turns out he's alive still. 88 yards where he was just, you know, faster than everybody on the field. Just about. Feels like the type of guy. I mean, this was, I know that was late in the game, but this was a, a day for your guys. Kenyon Drake looked like a really nice fit. Genuinely, Kenyon Drake in that offense will look like a superstar because it's it's... So, again, it's this idea of running backs being somewhat of a product of their environment. That offense keeps guys out of the box, makes every run a run into space, which is what Kenyon Drake does well. Yeah. Like, David Johnson is a really good back, but Kenyon Drake is made for this type of offense and looked fantastic. For sure. I think that's, you know, I think that bodes well. Uh, Patrick Peterson had a rough game on his worst grades of his career in this one for the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, the Niners... The Niners' defense wasn't as dominant, and I think that's one of the things we continue to harp on. You know, it's really tough to bank on dominant defensive performances week after week. We saw it with New England last night. We saw it with San Francisco. So um, offense will continue to dictate things, but the Niners finding different ways to win, so that bodes well for them, as we said at the top. Let's get into yesterday's action, starting in London. Texans 26, Jaguars 3. I think a lot of people are talking about Two things here. Deshaun Watson's MVP candidacy mm-hmm. continuing to pick up steam. I know Russell Wilson's, you know, the guy, but Watson's at least in the conversation and losing a little bit of luster off our guy Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Or is that a little overblown? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's overblown. He wasn't particularly good. He had a pretty stinking fourth quarter as well. Um, you know, one, one of the things he was doing well, which is had a little bit of that Deshaun Watson thing about him, which is when the chips are down. That's when he was playing at his best. He was executing some of these um, situational drives that were really important. That went away completely in this game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, he is – I think some of the hype was always a little bit out of control, but he's a player that has definitely shown some stuff. But, you know, now he's got to fight to try and keep in that job because obviously Foles is on the way back. They gave Foles a significant amount of money. Minshew had to play at a certain level 
to have any shot of winning that job outright before Falls came back. And I think that's starting to erode over the weeks. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's a huge difference between Foles and Minshew. Neither do I, but one guy they've already committed decent money to, so I suspect that will be where the the move goes. At the same time, figuring out what you can do with Minshew seems really valuable as well. Yeah. Um, still fumble, still an issue for Gardner. Uh, on the other side with Watson, only took one sack, broke free from a bunch again. It's He's a fascinating guy because he's not... I mean, he's listed at 6'2", 220, but he's slight of build. He's He breaks out of sacks like you expect Big Ben or Josh Allen or Cam Newton to break out of sacks. I mean, he is as tough to tackle as any of those guys. There's not a whole lot of quarterbacks around the league like that, mm-hmm. especially, in, and, I, and I don't think people expect it from Watson. I think they're going to start being a little bit more careful, trying to make sure that, you know, like when you're with Big Ben, you don't just try to hit him like you try to like jump on his back and just kind of like hang out there and let other people yeah. come and come and help you Wrap out I think first and yeah then take him down I, I think people are going to start being a little bit more controlled when his, they try to sack Deshaun yeah. Watson his ability to make throws though with guys like hanging off him and dragging him to the floor is ridiculous like yeah. he's actually able to put the ball you know it's one thing to get rid of the ball just to get it out of your hands and avoid the sack and put it vaguely near the guy you're aiming at so that it's not grounding but his ability to actually accurately deliver a pass in those circumstances is insane. Like every now and again, you'll see a player do it, you know, once. But he's doing it every week. Like there's at least one of those plays every single week where he's getting rid of the ball as he's being dragged to the ground and putting it where it needs to go, like accurately. Yeah, passer rating of 93.8 under pressure this year. We always say, you know, that's not exactly what you want to bank on, but he's also been excellent from a clean pocket as well. So Watson playing extremely well. The Texans... O-line is banged up. Didn't have Laramie Tunsil. They weren't great yesterday. Um, and, and I wasn't expecting, you know, we we keep questioning the Texans secondary. And, you know, holding to J- Jacksonville to three, an offense that had been doing doing some nice things for the majority of the season. That bodes well for Houston. Yeah, huge game from Gary and Conley, um, who, you know, hasn't been there very long, but he was targeted 12 times, gave up four catches or 26 yards, and had a bunch of pass breakups. Got, got Jonathan Joseph back for 40 snaps, playing all right. I granted, a lot of that came against Chris Conley, who's not the toughest cover in the world, but still. The Conley, the Conley battle. Conley on Conley crime. Yeah, I I'd still just, you know, I think we're going to mention it all year. It's, it's going to point back to Houston's, you know, they're back seven. And if if, Gon, if Conley keeps playing, Gary and Conley keeps playing like that, that's then that was a good pickup. That's why they, mm-hmm. that's why they picked him up. And the Texans taking control now in the how hard could it be AFC South, right? Yeah. Um, this is an interesting game because the, Where they tied with you, uh, Indy, the first sorry. game um, with no JJ Watt. And, you know, it was like, where's the pressure going to come? And Whitney Merciless didn't have the best game in the world. Brennan Scarlett picked up the slack. Two sacks, a couple of hits and hurries as well. That's probably not a sustainable long-term solution. It's going to be like, one of those, if you're a Texans fan, it's this team effort. Yeah. Like, come on, give me somebody stepping up. Give me a Benardrick McKinney, you know, making some plays uh, as a blitzer. That, you know, it's it's going to be a team effort replacing them. Right. So in this game, that worked. And, you know, obviously it won the game and it was a big part of it. But that's probably not a long-term fix. They right. they still are going to need to find uh, a reliable source of pass rush that isn't J.J. Watt-shaped. Texans moved to 6-3, and three, so they are in first in the AFC South. The Colts are at 5-3. and three. Uh, Colts did win their head-to-head matchup so far. Um, 
let's move on to the Washington Redskins at the Buffalo Bills. Um, a couple nice throws for Dwayne Haskins, but overall, just like a eh, just an eh start. Yeah, not good for the rookie. Um, what's really annoying is that Dwayne Haskins appears to be sufficiently not good that it's hurting Terry McLaren. And that's the real shame in all this. McLaren was able to get everything done despite, you know, Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, a quarterback, put in Haskins. See, the now thing about win. I think people overrate how much bad quarterbacks affect receivers sometimes because because we judge quarterbacks based off of like making turnover, you know, throwing turnover worthy plays and stuff like that, unless you're just horribly inaccurate and you're missing most of your throws mm-hmm. and not every bad quarterback is bad because they just miss a million throws you could still have wide receiver production you can but you also it, like it's not just missing throws it's not taking throws like the you know the the alex smith or the teddy bridgewaters no i know those guys hurt receivers because they don't take a shot but those are guys that we don't say are bad quarterbacks that's what i'm saying no. everybody's like oh this guy's got a terrible quarterback therefore he's going to be bad but yeah bad quarterback doesn't necessarily hurt receivers i mean look at ryan fitzpatrick ryan fitzpatrick's propensity to throw yolo balls every single snap can be hugely beneficial receivers because you're getting a huge amount of opportunity to make plays now you're also going to see a lot of balls come your way to get intercepted but you're not getting charged for those so who cares all that's happening for you is the ball is coming your way more so that's good. But quarterback play, you know, unideal quarterback play can massively kill receivers production just because they're not giving them the opportunities anymore. Yeah. So ha- um, as far as Haskins goes, he was interesting because, you know, um, Chris was highlighting Lamar's low arm angle and everything last night, which I don't think is really all that different. But Haskins was throwing like that yesterday. He looked like he was trying to throw in and around defenders, which worked OK for him at times and not so good at other times. Um, I compared him to Sam Bradford coming out. Okay. And I don't even know if he's as accurate. I don't think he's as accurate as Bradford, but I still think it's, it's that like perfect clean pocket. It can make some anticipation. You can make NFL ish throws, right? NFL type throws, but any of the outside the pocket stuff or avoiding sacks, making special plays. I'm just not seeing it from Haskins. And now it's almost like he's, a couple times he's bailing on pockets and looking to run too early, which isn't really his game. Took a couple sacks he shouldn't have taken. So yeah, I yeah. think it's you know there's not a whole a lot start to look to to love about him right now. Um, tough defense. I mean, you're going up rough. against a tough Bills defense. Yeah, and that's the thing with McLaren as well is that he was going up against Tre'Davious White for the whole game. So that's going to make it tougher to have any kind of production as well. But yeah, the the Haskins era has not got off to a particularly auspicious start, and let's. For their sake, they just have to hope that, you know, they get a year out of this, get yep. it out of the way. And then next year, with the whole offseason preparing, next with year is when we actually start to system, see what do. Better playmakers to go with McLaurin. Uh, Bill's defense bounces back after the rough outing last week against the Eagles. And I still see them trending as the 2017 Jaguars, 2018 Bears. Well, we're going to get to the end of the season. They're going to have 10, 11, however many wins. And I honestly think you got to look at the quarterback position, even though Josh Allen is a playmaker with his legs and all this stuff. He's still, I don't know, man, still missing some throws, had a fumble as a runner. It looked all right statistically, but they're, they're winning despite him. Yeah, um, it's he's interesting because 
he has, he has taken a step forward. He's gotten better at a lot of the stuff that he was bad at last year. Um, I mean, this is depends where you are on the idea of constantly looking for a quarterback, et cetera. But they, I would imagine, are still going to be sold on him at the end of this year, almost regardless of what happens. And probably we'll give it at least another year of seeing what he can, whether he can get better or not. This game is also kind of fascinating in terms of game flow because Adrian Peterson had 100 rushing yards at the half yeah. and finished the game on 108. So, because obviously they're down, right? right? They're in a hole. So the run game, the established the run game went out the window. We had to try and pass to get back in the game and couldn't. Um, and obviously Adrian Peterson, not a big factor in the pass game. Um, but yeah, so with all those rushing yards, they just uh, couldn't do it. So it was Adrian Peterson racking up rushing yards in the first half and then Frank Gore being ground into the dirt trying to get the Barry Sanders number, averaging like one yard a carry in this game. It was like, we are getting Frank to that number, <laughs> even if it takes the next 200 carries to get there. That's great. Josh Allen had the sixth highest percentage of it, percentage of his yards coming after the catch yesterday. Uh, Devin Singletary making some plays, get yeah. a tap pass, a screen pass, you know. So it's just another it's another day with you know a few nice throws, a couple misses, and so Singletary twenty carries, ninety five yards, forty five of which came after contact. Frank Gore eleven carries, fifteen yards, nine of which came after contact. Jeez. Like Frank, it was like, look, we're a hundred odd yards shy of Barry Sanders. It may take us 150 carries to get to that, but Frank's getting there. If we have to grind him over the next nine games, Frank's going to surpass Barry Sanders. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. Frank Gore, Hall of Famer. God, it's good. somebody's going to make that argument. You're so excited by that, right? 24-9, Bills beat the new Curtis Martin. The Washington Redskins. All right, one of the best games of the day. Minnesota Vikings at the Kansas City Chiefs. I was the only one who got this game right. Can we talk about how insane it is that three AFC West teams beat three NFC North teams this week? So one of my Mahomes, one of my takeaways, put them on pff.com is I keep for the for like the third year in a row. I keep talking up the NFC and it, it reminds me a little bit of college football, right? College football. People talk about conference strength nonstop and it actually drives me nuts. It's like, let's talk about the football, right? And it's all, oh, this Pac-12 is not as good, and the SEC is this, and whatever. But conference strength always seems like it's determined by the teams at the top, mm-hmm. right? Well, the SEC has Alabama and LSU and Auburn and Florida and Georgia, therefore they're great. But what about the rest of the conference? And you know, and they're playing the rest of the conference, which could be bad. Who knows? Is that the NFC right now? Because I, I keep talking up the NFC, and I'm like, and I just don't know who the best team is, right? We every week, it's is it the Saints? Is it the Vikings? Is it the 49ers? Is it the Seahawks? Like, who are the best teams? They just, I mean, the Ravens beat the Seahawks as well. We have yesterday all these AFC teams beating NFC teams. We thought the NFC North is this really deep division. Well, Vikings, Lions, and Char- and uh, Packers all lose. Yeah. I mean, is, is, the NF- is the AFC actually much stronger than we think? So... The Raiders-Lions one, we can put to one side because I think that was at least one that should have been close and the Raiders were favorites. That kind of made some sense, right? The Chargers beating the Packers makes no sense at all in any world. And this game makes slightly less, slightly more sense than that, but definitely on that side of the fence versus the Lions-Raiders game. Um, What was interesting about this game is that coming into it, it's like the Chiefs' defense is bad. They're really bad at stopping the run. The Vikings' dream game... It's just running the ball 85 times with Dalvin Cook and never having to put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands at all. 
Um, so therefore they win, right? Because they're just going to be able to execute their game plan. The Chiefs aren't going to be able to stop at the end. But what this game showed is that even if you suck at something like run defense, it, you can just completely sell out and, and actually do it really well yeah. by saying, look, forget it. We're stopping the run. We're going to make something else beat us. And that's what's happening. So despite having really bad run defense, the Chiefs were able to completely shut down the Vikings run early by just throwing bodies at it. And at which point you're like, okay, so the run game is getting is getting bottled up. Now Kirk Cousins needs to make some plays. And he's been on fire, so it should go well. Only Kirk Cousins started to come back down to earth in this game and miss a lot of throws and basically play badly enough that they weren't able to uh, overcome that. Yeah, it was a lot. Of, I mean, even his touchdowns, it was like wide open in the flat, and there was a lot of screen passes that actually were successful. But when he and then he, but he missed a bunch of those throws as well. And you know, I told you I don't trust Kirk Cousins in an outdoor road game. Right. And then when he was under pressure in this game, bad, very bad. Um, here's the thing, though, it's good for the Vikings, right? Because we talked last week about there's no way he can sustain a run from like week three to the Super Bowl. It's, it's too long. You can't play at that level for Get the bad plays. He out. needs to go on like a he's got a five game run in him. Right. Which means they need to start his run week 16 at the earliest. So at that Jeez. point, they need if it's going to go roller coaster. Right. He was already he was up here from week three to so nine down for a little. We bit. need to tumble down here to for, you know, basically until week 16. So nine through 16, we need five crappy games on the bounce for Kirk Cousins so that he can come back up for week 16, 17 run of the Super Bowl, win a championship right off into the sunset with your $84 million. That's what the Vikings need. It was it, Cousins couldn't sustain where he was at. He needs to come back down to the bottom of the roller coaster, and that needed to start now. So this is a hugely selfless act from Kirk Cousins huh. to stink for the next month or so. Team player. Two months. Maybe. You know they still have to make it into the playoffs. Well, that's the downside to that, but th- that's where Mike Zimmer's plan comes, right? We want to run the ball. We want to we uh, play good defense. We don't want Kirk Cousins to have to win the game. So, honestly, the Vikings have a reasonable shot at making the playoffs simply by the fact that they beat bad teams. They'll lose to good teams, but that's less of a problem because the playoffs, you know, you've eliminated most of the teams in the playoffs get there because they beat bad teams. They're usually good. Right, but then then you have to play the good teams. That's its own problem, right? Just getting there, you can probably get most of the way there by beating bad teams. Huh. So I think Kirk Cousins is going to stink for the next month and a half or so. The Vikings will continue to tick over. They'll probably, you know, they're aiming for a wild card at this spot, but that's fine because Cousins is going to catch fire week 17 through to the Super Bowl and win you the championship. Why can't they win the division? What? Because they're going to lose against good teams. You're not going to win a division doing that. Well, not if the Packers lay an egg at Right, but they're they're probably not going to do that all, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, the the good news for the Vikings and everybody else in the NFC North is everybody else lost in the NFC North. Yes, Don't so worry the standings didn't change at all. NFC North, the strongest division in football, 0-4. Yes, yesterday. this weekend. It was like the, uh, you know, when you get back to college football again, where they go through bowl seasons, like the Big Ten is like 0-whatever against the SEC. That was what this was like. Just yeah. the NFC North, just all... All of them lost. Well, that's what I'm saying. We were on here saying, is it the NFC North? Is it the NFC West? And maybe it's just the AFC is much better with New England, Baltimore. So this was a game the Vikings should have won and somehow conspired not to. I don't think this necessarily... Obviously, the Chiefs are way better when Mahomes is in there. um, But I think this said more about the Vikings basically playing badly than it did. I, I think we continue to see just, again, nuance to this whole thing. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. However, 
on both sides of Patrick Mahomes, we have 2017 Alex Smith leading the league in passer rating, being one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. Then Mahomes hits. Now Mahomes is hurt. Matt Moore is able to go out there. He's tearing it up statistically. Mm-hmm. And you just see, I mean, and it's a combination. Matt Moore made some nice throws. His first touchdown to Tyreek Hill, deep bomb. Tyreek gets a step, hits him, it's over, right? Yeah. But then there's another one where he throws up essentially a jump ball and Tyreek just wins it. You know, again, those are the ones we separate in our grading. One's a really nice throw. One is Tyreek doing all of the work. Yeah. Mahomes was breaking the league because he makes more throws than Alex Smith or Matt Moore. And he also gets freak plays from Tyreek and from Kelsey and the screen yards and all of that stuff. So Andy Reid continues to show that he could take a guy like Matt Moore and get productive offense out of him. He So, yes. Um, and it's it, it sort of helps that argument that he, Moore is not grading particularly well overall right now. And yet they're still having this kind of production, which you know points to Andy Reid more than yeah. it does. Look, they're, they're able to stick well, in any a, quarterback, and he grades really well. He had some fumbles in the pocket right. and stuff like that. As far as throwing he's, the ball, he's he was okay. He's making some good plays. But the point is, overall, he's not doing what Mahomes is doing. Uh, the other thing is that it's not showing up yet because he missed a lot of time, obviously. But Tyreek Hill may be the best player in the NFL. Um, a game like yesterday. He's absurd. So... It, this was a ridiculously favorable matchup for him as well. What makes him so? He's a really awkward player to talk about. But Trey Wayne got all the offseason. No, Tyreek, because obviously you've got all the off-field issues. I thought you were saying Tyreek Hill versus Trey Wayne. I was about to get there, but Tyreek Hill generally is a really yeah. awkward player to talk about because of all the off-field stuff. Agreed. And like the second you post anything on Twitter, half the people replying are like, you know, wife beater. Right. Whatever, right? So separating that stuff and working on the basis that, look, the guy's playing football, so we have to analyze him as a football player. Right. He is a truly spectacular athlete and player. Um, and what makes him so amazing is that there are players out there that have blazing straight line speed. Most of those players do not also have stupidly good quickness and change right. direction ability, Right. Hill has both of them at the same time. So Trey Wayne's like the thing that he does best, like basically his one real skill is being able to run really fast in a straight line. Right. And when you run up against a guy that can do that faster than you, you're absolutely screwed, which is what happened to Trey Wayne's. He ran up against Tyreek Hill, who a can run really fast in a straight line faster than you, which makes your one skill irrelevant and B can change direction in a way you couldn't even dream of. Like, you know, Tyreek Hill, is like a guy driving around in a little mini, whereas Trey Waynes is operating this giant articulated lorry. Like they're they're two completely different things. Um, it's, it's so true because the fast guys, it's 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 hard to throttle down. So speed plus quickness right. plus. I I ask this all the time, right? Because there's been other guys of Tyreek speed in the NFL, as you say. The two most recent ones I can think of that are in that category of breaking angles and things because you're so fast are Chris Johnson before he got busted and Randy Moss, right? What about Deshaun? I see. I think Deshaun Jackson. I don't think he has that kind of speed. Deshaun Jackson is like regular fast, not you change everything that's, but he's been fast. And so, but from like a production standpoint, he's been a consistent deep threat. Yeah. That when he is on the field, the whole offense is better Mm -hmm. for the most part. He's done it for over 10 years in the NFL. Yeah. And this is like Darius Hayward Bay has similar speed. Like all these guys have uh, the Raiders were drafting this guy every single year, the four three guy, right? 
what makes Deshaun Jackson so consistently good? What makes Tyreek Hill so consistently good? And I think a lot of it with Tyreek is also ball skills. Oh, I huge. Mean, how, yeah, ma- how, many of well. these, how many of these fast guys have no idea how to track the ball, use yes. their ball? Like, he, like even like a Will Fuller, who's really good and has gotten better in the NFL, I don't think anybody's got the contested ability and ball skills and tracking skills that Tyreek has. No, down the see, field. that's the thing. So he's got he's probably the fastest player in the NFL in a straight line. He has amongst the best quickness in the NFL in terms of change of direction skills. And he's one of the best contested catch receivers in the NFL, despite being uh, tiny. So you add all that stuff up and you end up, all right, who's better? Not just a receiver, who's better across the board? Um, I'm like, there aren't many names. Like, obviously, you've got the Aaron Donalds of the world, but like Tyreek Hill is a game-changing weapon to the point where you can't actually, you need to assign an entire defense to stopping that and forcing them to go somewhere else. Well, that's what and instead the Vikings basically said, Trey Wayne's give it a shot and it didn't go so well. That's what New England did in the AFC Championship last year, where they legitimately double teamed him, put yeah. a, two guys on him twelve to fifteen times. That's one hundred percent what you should do against Tyreek Hill, because yeah. otherwise you're dead. So they did that, and you know Mahomes struggled a little bit early in the game, but by the end, it's like, all right, here's a wide open screen pass. Here's sure. A, I mean, every, it, it literally opens things up. Yes. for everybody else. But it's still better than just saying, all right, you're a fast guy, give it a shot of covering him, because that's not going to work. Like, not even close. Yeah. You're going to get killed. So yeah, he's a he's a game changer. I think you know, again, Matt Moore. A lot of his grades coming through some some bad, some fumbles in the pocket and all that stuff. But like he's making some throws. The offense is creating throws. They're doing it. You know, Cam Irving still struggling at left tackle, and that would be an issue if Mahomes was in there or not. You know, that's one of those things that's like a little different with Kansas City this year. I think you know a couple holes up front on the O line. Yeah. So. Um, but their defense played well. That's what I'm saying. They kind of they sold out to stop the run. They did a good job of that, and then they basically were able to exploit the fact that Kirk Cousins wasn't good. Travarius Ward played a good game. He was a guy, you know, he was one of those guys who kind of flashed last year. Has that length and all that stuff. He, he you know, he contests some passes, and then you have like Chris Jones wrecked that Vikings interior, playing more on the edge, wasn't it? Ah, uh, well, he wrecked Elfline multiple times in the game like just drove him right yeah. back into the backfield but they were moving him around they were having him play a little edge because they were low on uh no frank clark and everything mm-hmm. there so elfline and bradbury both had pretty terrible grades again um which you know we've talked about before that's going to be a problem for them unless those guys were able to raise their game the other matchup in this game that was pretty fascinating was Danelle hunter going up against mitchell schwartz um i don't think we talked about it on the podcast but you and i talked about it off air the idea that Danelle Hunter was finally having the season that everyone had sort of expected him to have since he was like 19, um, re- grading really well up in the 90s, I think leads the league in total pressures now, or at least certainly is one of the, he was only one behind J.J. Watt, who obviously didn't play. Um, so amongst the league leaders in total pressures, first time he goes up against a legitimate, you know, all pro level right tackle and Schwartz pretty much won. Yeah, like across the board. That w- this was the Schwartz Danell Hunter game. This was what happened to JJ Watt in Week One against Ryan Ramchek. There was and, obviously the holding penalty in that one, but otherwise basically eliminated from the game. This was one where you know Hunter had a few plays, but Schwartz basically blanked him. And I don't, I don't hold that against pass rushers. No, I mean I think history says that elite pass rushers running up against elite tackles, the tackle wins. Yeah, I, and and again, I don't hold it against him because you know. 
if you're going to have an eight pressure game where you just dominate the guy in front of you, sometimes that's extremely valuable. That's going to help you help you win that particular game. Um, you know, sometimes you get shut out. All right. So Kansas City, uh, Mahomes should be back, we think, going forward. Yeah. So they've mitigated the damage pretty well. Yeah, they, they've done a reasonable job. A lot like the Saints in terms of just weathering the storm of the backup quarterback and haven't really seen it derail their season at all. They're in a good spot now that the superstar comes back. And will Kirk Cousins be able to play well in a road outdoor game? No, this is the start of his this is the start of the, the so the decline dip, the dip in the roller coaster. Decline Kirk. All yeah. right. Sounds good. All right. The New York Jets. Oh God. That's the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins win twenty six to eighteen. The Jets lost a game to a team trying to tank. That's how what this was terrible. Well, Fitz, Fitz was was magic again. Yes, we said we said this would happen. Yeah, Fitz is so high volatile. That sooner or later, he's going to string together a game. He might be done. QB of the week. Ninety point six passing grade. And this, this was game. the danger of playing Fitz if you're the Dolphins. That he actually does have the ability to do this in a game, particularly against the Jets. Um, and now you've won a game, torpedoing your number one overall draft stock. As long as the uh, the Bengals are around. Man. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't know if the number one pick is the most important thing. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a slam dunk QB. I don't know if Tua ever was a slam dunk quarterback. You'd like to have your choice Hmm. of Tua or Joe Burrow or Herbert, whoever you're going to go with. But I think it's all about the draft capital and, and taking a bunch of shots at the quarterback position anyway. Sure. But ultimately you have nothing to gain out of this season. So let's get the first overall pick and worry about it later. Well, I'm going to defer to my wife, Kelly. Okay. She seems to think, we've mentioned this a few weeks back, that this tanking mentality is just, if that infiltrates the building, you'll never recover. Mm. Counterpoint, if you just suck, that, that seems to be problematic to crawl out of as well, i.e. the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, but they're talented. I don't think they were tanking, and yet they still can't shake off. They the were st- tanking, and then no. they can't get out of it now. They can't shake off the they stink had a half of just season being of bad. Good. Half season of good, and now they're all screwed. Right. They can't shake off the stink of just being the Browns for the last 20 years. Man. So Fitz played really well. Darnold's still making some questionable decisions. Another disgusting red zone interception. Yes, it was. Panic mode. I feel like, I did, what the hell was that? It's like know. an underarm shot put into double coverage running to your left while you're under pressure. It wasn't great. I mean, in the pantheon of ill-advised throws, that was right up there in terms of what, what, what? Did you hear the trade rumors, the, what the Jets were asking for from Jamal, for Jamal Adams? Uh, no. Apparently, Zach Martin. They asked for a straight-up Jamal Adams for Zach Martin trade or something, something similar to that. Okay. And of course, every anytime anybody does anything, like you know, the Twitter response is like, "Oh, you idiots, stupid Jets," and it depends on who's talking here. Yeah, I don't think that's a crazy. I don't think that's crazy for either side, to be honest. Yeah, I I, I might have done that. You got a playmaking safety, hmm. and you have a right guard who's awesome. Yeah, very difficult to replace. Yep. But in the creep back toward average world, particularly if you're going to get this Lyle Collins going forward. Because then you're back to, again, three-fifths of the line being, being really good. You can kind of live without the right guard being great. Yeah. Adding that Jamal Adams to that secondary. Yeah. I, be... I like that for both sides, to be honest. It's not that crazy. So are we... What What if Sam Darnold just isn't good? 
Oh, I mean, it's all possible. Because at this point, he's got youth on his there's side. Quite a lot of evidence that says he's bad at football. He's young, and there's not that much evidence that says he isn't. Plus, he has a bad face. Loopy motion is overrated. Oh man, you're going right back to. I read it in a draft scouting report, right so it must be scout. true. See, the thing is, darn. So Cousins' level of play is like here, right? Yeah. And his roller coaster is. Uh, so here oh, we go. God, every week we're you, gonna draw. You understand? That so the this people is listening. Cannot this see is, you drawing roller. This coasters. is Cousins, and that's his baseline of play, and it goes like this. Yeah. Right. Right now, Darnold is just a lesser version of the Cousins coaster. Yeah. Right? So, Darnold has tons of peaks and valleys as well. Yeah. He's just, his baseline's just lower. Yeah. But the thing is, he's only 22 or whatever he is. Uh He's young. He'll get better. Will he, though? Oh, I mean, trust me. We we had the very, um, I don't know, we had a discussion this summer (laughs) and said... The Jets are sitting there at three. Would you take Kyler Murray? Yeah. Right? And and it has nothing to do with Darnold. It's just this idea of go get top eight or top ten quarterbacks until you know you have them. And people thought we were nuts. And I think George posed the question initially. I think George gave the answer initially. He said, absolutely. I'm taking Murray. Right? And And this doesn't mean Kyler's a slam dunk right now either. You just want to continue to creep back toward top eight. Use as much as you can, right? Like if you're a team, like say, let's say Kyler, let's say Kyler's not the guy. After Let's say this year, Arizona has a chance to take another quarterback and he's graded similarly to Kyler. Let's say Joe Burrow. We think Joe Burrow's got as, just mu- as much of a chance of being a top eight guy as Kyler Murray. If you're the Cardinals... I don't think it's that crazy to take Joe Burrow if you have the opportunity to take him or Tua, right? You're the Cardinals. You're drafting in the top 10. Herbert and one of these guys falls into your lap. I mean, this is just this is offseason discussion. Yeah, but we didn't think it was that crazy. I'm not I'm not going to give up on Darnold yet. He's shown a lot of stuff, but I think, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not trending in the right direction, but this is like the Darnold. This is the he's getting better. The end of last season was great. And now we're in this like, oh, my gosh, one of the worst stretches of football that we've seen. So he's about to he's going to have his stretch of play. Okay. In a few weeks. Mm. Donald's going to come back up. So here's a question for you uh, that long term podcast listeners will be aware of. Where is the ginger talent now? Mm. Because Donald's playing like crap. Andy Dalton just got benched. Oh, Wentz stole it back. Wentz stole it back. Yeah, yeah, Wentz has it. It's all Wentz. Uh, Okay. Because I was about to suggest that maybe Ryan Finley is about to become a superstar. There's <laughs> no ginger talent so if I'm currently Carson, being occupied. So if I'm Carson Wentz, though, I'm worried because he's going to come back. So Finley, Finley's – so Wentz is on bye. Yeah. Okay. So for people who don't know the ginger theory, one of our very astute listeners said at any given time, there's only so much ginger, red talent. hair, yeah. talent – in the NFL at any given time with quarterbacks. And, and this was like a multi-year thesis that was sent to us. It was like yeah. Carson Palmer, 2015. And then, you know, this guy gets hurt. And then, right. And think of it like a Venn diagram, right? So there's only however many gingers there are that the, the yeah. circle of talent would just would move itself. Right. Predominantly towards a specific person. So 2017, Wentz stole it all. And then last year, Wentz had most of it. And then he gets hurt. And then Donald becomes the best quarterback in the NFL over the last four weeks yeah, or whatever four it weeks. was. 
right? So, uh-huh. I mean, it was making perfect sense. Now, this year, I think Wentz has stolen all of it. Okay. Now, the fear, as he's on by, as Ryan Finley goes out there. Is he, he takes even, it all. Is he even a ginger or are oh, we just no, he's by association? Oh, no, he's ginger. If he steals it during the bye and then Wentz comes back out against a mad Patriots defense and lays an egg, Wentz could be in trouble. Yes. And Finley could steal it all back. Uh, I could see Wentz losing it and then Finley and Donald reclaim it. So Ryan Finley looks a little like this, right? Oh man. I saw him described as Ryan Finley looks like the guy cast to play Andy Dalton in a movie about <laughs> AJ Green. <laughs> That's good. It is. And that's exactly what he looks like. It's I mean, like, yeah. We keep talking about Danny need, Dimes. As we need a vaguely, yeah, we need a vaguely ginger-looking person. How close it is to Dalton is not really important because the movie's about A.J. Green. So. I did call Ryan Finley Andy Dalton light before the draft, before the Bengals drafted him, okay. and without any real look at his hair. <laughs> <laughs> Had nothing to do with So the, I, the point is, though, that this is a great time to be starting if you're him because there is... There is an absence of ginger talent being used that week. So he could potentially have it all. I think Finley starts out great for one game, and then Wentz takes it back. Let me say something positive about the Jets. All right, go on. Follow Fadakasi. <sighs> Follow Fadakasi. I've, I've abbreviated his first name. <laughs> 2018 sixth-round pick out of UConn, a guy who had four straight years of awesome run defense grades for us over here at PFF College. He's their best-graded player, I think, yeah. heading into that game, and he played well. And he played really well. He actually got a couple pressures as well, but he is like your... I mean, as far as like team building goes, and I know that Jets fans aren't going to care about this at all. As far as team building goes, in today's NFL, I love the idea of getting that two-down no, you know, nose tackle run stopper in the sixth round. You get one guy, that's his job, the Greg Gaines type of player that the Rams got, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah. I, how's that? Um, weak. For being positive. Weak, Steve. That's how that is. Good for Folo, but weak. Just trying to be positive. Um, how about them Dolphins? The Dolphins banged up in the secondary, too, and they just got guys making plays for them. Yeah. A few guys. Raekwon McMillan is Jamal playing Wilt. this year. That's their positive. Speaking because of winning this game isn't actually positive for them. Speaking of run defense, but that's where he is excelled. Millen has been really good. They also had a really nice play from uh, their other young linebacker, Jerome Baker, covering deep down the uh, the field on a post. I think absolutely blanketed a guy. Um, that was a really impressive play. I wanted. Yeah, that's what I expected from Baker. He's got out. the ability to do that. Yeah, really good athlete at linebacker. So again, I don't think the Dolphins' defense is as bad as. I mean, now the talent is. When you lose Xavier Howard and you, it's getting depleted. Yeah, suddenly when but you I'll, get to play Sam Darnold, it looks quite good. Oh, man. All right. Speaking of last quarterback play. Chicago Bears at the hmm. Eagles. Yes. 22 to 14. The Bears defense kind of holds them close again. The Bears offense had like eight yards at the half. They were at negative 10, I think, halfway through the second quarter. Yeah. And then they got, into, they got to like eight by the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. Like this was one of the most inept offensive displays you're ever going to see in your life. This was so you remember we talked about it, moving to Ryan Tannehill was the right move, if only because at some point you have to make the point that playing like this is not OK. Yes. And it doesn't even matter if you upgrade it or not. You just have to say, look, you, you can't keep going out there like this. This is absurd. There needs to be accountability and you are being held accountable, sir. Sit your ass on the bench. Trubisky's in that place right now. Like at some point, I don't it doesn't matter. Bench him, put Chase Daniel in. It doesn't matter that Chase Daniel is a career backup whose greatest living achievement 
is amassing more money per throw than anybody else in history, put him out there because at some point you need to say, look, Trubisky, sit down. It's not happening. Like, and this is despite, again, much like Tannehill or much like uh, Mariota, right when you're about to say, good God, just take him off the field. He then completes like a deep bomb to Taylor Gabriel. And it's like, oh, okay, fine. We're stuck with him for a little, but no, you need to take Trubisky, pull him off the field, sit him on the bench and say, look, this is just not all right. You, you are playing so badly that you cannot be out there. Let's, let's use this again. Oh God. Here's a circle. This represents all of the plays that Mitch Trubisky makes. This is right. This is the issue in the NFL, right? The best quarterbacks, you know, fill up this, you know, they make good plays over time, mm-hmm. more good than bad. Where we get deceived is when somebody says, hey, I watched Eli Manning, right, in training camp, and he makes NFL throws, and you focus on like this, like every NFL quarterback can make like this level of throw, right? They could do this. This is how much, like the bad quarterbacks are a good NFL quarterback like this amount of time. But you really want a guy that's a full circle. People focus on like what he can do. Like, oh, look, Trubisky made enough throws. And yeah. Eli made enough throws. And Darnold made enough throws or whoever it is. What you're ineptly drawing here is a pie chart. Yeah, um, essentially. Yeah. Only you're doing it. Don't worry about it. Slices that are. You're doing it using slices that. So, you know, the, there's an accepted way of doing these things. Right? Makes perfect sense. Like if you have a pie at home, everyone divides the slice. Everyone knows how to slice a pie, right? You're the guy that comes in, I'm just coloring, just digs in with a spoon at the side and yes. scoops out just a chunk of the pie. Yeah, that's what you've drawn here. It's you not a, see when I make my homemade bread. Right. Too. I'm not slicing that thing. No. I'm just ripping it. It's not a neat pie slice shape. You've just dug a trench out of the the side of this. Thing. Is the point being made? badly. So ultimately what you're saying is that the difference between good quarterbacks and bad quarterbacks are how large a piece of the pie their good throws actually are. Hmm. Thanks. How's this? I mean, it's it's still pretty bad. Still losing it? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yes, Trubisky can take... make good throws. He just doesn't do them very often and therefore is a bad quarterback right now. Yeah. The Bortles comparison. But my still, point is that he's remains. at this point he is playing so badly that you can't keep him out there for your own sanity, if nothing else. It doesn't matter that Chase Daniel is not a better long-term option. It doesn't even matter that he's not a better short-term option. At some point, Trubisky has played himself to the bench, and I think that point was like a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I would say if the Bears are trying to salvage their season, that move would have to be made. I don't think, I think regardless of what happens, if it's a short or long-term move, you have to make it. Like, you're not getting anything of value out of Trubisky for the rest of the season. He's not turning his life around and becoming the answer over the next eight weeks. It's just not happening. You sit him down, make the point that you cannot play at this level, and then figure out if you can salvage him off the field and work him some like back into the competition. But this is this is obnoxious. Huh. That's it, man. They might make it. They might make the move. They have to. I mean, you can, it's like the Mariota thing. At some point, enough is enough, and that point is... It's well in the rearview mirror. And I think my point with this whole bad pie chart thing, though, too, is they're still sitting there in year three trying to hold out hope. The Mariota thing's easier. It's like, oh, he's a free agent. We get five years of evidence, and the backup's essentially the same as Mario. Like, he's the same guy. Like, maybe there's a spark, right? This is like, once you bench Trubisky, the Bears are either admitting a mistake, admitting he's not the guy, admitting that they need a new quarterback, and that's... That's a tough thing to do. That's that's why they're doing it. I mean, Gettleman couldn't do it with Eli after 15 years in the league. Yeah. 
I mean, that was, I think, more difficult because you had two Super Bowls attached to that. Yeah. Whereas Trubisky, it's like, all right, look, it's a failed experiment. Nobody, nobody, nobody disagrees with ta- with making the experiment. Listen, Ben, I don't want to hear about your. There you go. Pie chart's gone. Nobody has to look at it. Whatever the heck that was. Bad is what it was. Um, I don't want to hear it, Ben. Back no, to work. Nobody Just disagrees. Kidding, you guys are doing a great job with taking the gamble or making the experiment in the first place. But the whole point about science is you test a hypothesis. And then once you get the results, you adjust accordingly. You don't just keep going. Well, I, I tested this theory. It didn't come back the way I wanted it. So I'm going to test it again 58 times to see what happens. No, you tested it. It came back. You were wrong. Move on. Go to the next thing, right? Based upon this learning of this experiment, I have modified my thoughts and I'm moving on to a different theory. The bears aren't doing that yet. It's like, well, I tested my experiment. It, the, the results were negative, but I'm going to still keep playing Trubisky because, well, it might come back positive next time. No, it won't. It's negative. It's wrong. You mess up. Move on. Move on to the next hypothesis. Find a new answer because Trubisky isn't it. Man, that's science. Other things are failing around him, too. Offensive lines not run blocking. I mean, uh, not blocking well in general. The Eagles, one of those classic games where like 15 different pass rushers contributed. Fletcher Cox, Vinny Curry, Albert Huggins, Josh Sweat. Gennard Avery got his three snaps in there, including a sack. Yeah. Newly acquired. By the way, so I was <laughs> saying this yesterday, that the Eagles, they're really good at stockpiling sort of defensive line talent, right? Um, and they usually, you know, they're impressive players. That's why it's it's impressive. You have this group of guys, all of whom can rush the passer. How are they getting so many people on the field on the defensive line that nobody's ever heard of? Like yeah, Anthony Rush is getting 13 snaps. How? They had like 10 people. Was it nine or 10 defensive linemen yeah. who got snaps yesterday? They love that rotation up there, up front. Six, nine five, nine three, different 50. players on the defensive line got snaps. Most teams, I don't think, even activate nine defensive linemen in a game. And the Eagles had nine of them getting snaps, all of whom got pressure, I think. That's part of their pass rushing success, though, keeping guys fresh. It is. It was more just, it's, you know, the Gennard Avery thing, fine, you know, but Anthony Rush, guy wearing number 66, he's out there for 13 snaps. Brandon Graham with another sack. I know, you missed This the was ball. like the anti. What's he up to now? He's got six. And when we talk about the Raiders, I'm going to say, look, I was just a year off in our bets. You've got. I was a year off. We doubled almost, down. We doubled down on all of them. Have you got almost half the year or have you got a full half the year for them to get, for him to get four more sacks? No, he's got seven games left. Seven games left. They're going to a bye. To get four. That's never happening. Let's, now let's bet again. I'm, I'm fine. You want to do it? I'm feeling the sack. This was like the anti-Brandon Graham game. Only. Only three pressures, one of which was a sack. Yeah. That's the second time he's done that in four weeks. <laughs> that was a couple weeks removed from the old 11 hurry, no sacks, no right. hits game. We've gone from zero sacks in the first four games to six of them in the last five. Oh, man. He's going to just finish the year at six, isn't he? Yeah. You want to The two bets last year, I thought the Raiders over six wins and I'm, Brandon Graham getting 10 sacks. I've basically spotted you half the season in six sacks, but you want to you wanna re-up the bet? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll talk after the show. We'll okay. talk after the show. All right. All right. Good job by the Eagles. Carson Wentz played solid monster games from Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson, the right side of the Eagles offensive line to the better run blocking grades you'll see in the old PFF system, man. Brooks season 
is actually kind of incredible. He's always been a top five kind of caliber guard, but there's always been a pretty notable step between him and the guys vying for the number one. Um, whether that's Zach Martin, whether it's Marshall Yanda, whether it's um, David DeCastro, like somebody was always taking a step and having one of those seasons that's incredible. And Brooks was always like the next guy, the next tier down. But he's coming back. Was it an ACL that he did? A significant injury anyway, last year. Coming back within a year and is playing the best football of his career as having one of those seasons that makes him the number one player at his position. I mean, that's kind of insane. He's he's playing at a legitimate, well, A, it's a comeback player of the year kind of season, but B, it's also, um, he's playing like the best guard in football right now. Yeah, playing extremely well. Um, so the Eagles, they head to the bye. They're going to host the Patriots in a couple weeks. Colts at the Steelers, 26-24. This was a pretty entertaining game for one that's, you know, you go in, it's like, hey, it's Mason Rudolph versus Jacoby Brissett. Brissett gets hurt early on. Brian Hoyer. Mason Rudolph against Brian Hoyer. And again, longtime podcast listeners reminded us. Bobby. Nice to see Bobby. Bobby Hoyer in there. Dave Tuckman. Um, miss you, Dave. So pretty good game. Steelers. I mean, Adam Vinteri misses the game winning field goal opportunity. We're we're genuinely blaming that on on Laces not being out. Oh yeah, that was bad, man. That I mean that's he what didn't even try to spin it. Yeah, but, okay, fine. The laces are supposed to be out, but that doesn't turn a shank into a nailed it safely down the middle kick. It just doesn't. Like that kick, the problem with that kick was not that the laces were not spun out. That was a disaster kick that was shanked left. It it that affects things. It affects things. Greatly. It does not No, it does not turn yes, it, it does. He made perfect connection with that ball. It did not spin wildly off to the left. Because the laces weren't spun out. That's like what you were saying about the Jameis throw. Like if, if you're about to throw and somebody hits you in the back, whether they hit your arm or not, that affects the throw or the fumble or the fact that you fumble or whatever. It affects it. It doesn't give you carte blanche. It just moves. If you're holding the ball here and you get hit, very easily the ball could come out of your hand. If you're holding the ball and I do this to you and you launch it out of the back of your hand right, you have no business being an NFL quarterback. Donovan Smith weighs 330. Uh-huh. He's going to put a little bit more force behind your little push there. He's also soft. He's well, that's, why he's getting, that's why he's getting pushed into he's you. squidgy. He's got some give to him. We'll talk later. So the Steelers win. It wasn't a perfect defensive performance, but at the high end, you've got TJ Watt picking up his two sacks. Bud Dupree continues his strong play. What a great game for him. The forced fumble. Our guy Gordon always likes to show. I forget. Was it Suggs who did it last year? Those pass rushers, they're coming around the edge and they know they've won and they know they have a strip sack opportunity, but they just kind of like hesitate a little bit because they uh, they wait for the quarterback to get to the right spot before swatting it. That was what Bud did on his strip sack. So that was that was really well done. He's playing really well. He is. So Would this you- is interesting, right? Is he now the is he this year's D Ford who couldn't get it for like five years? And that's now, what I texted him. Bud Dupree Ford. Right. Now we're going to have the good. But Dupree year, right in time for the contract. Then what do you do? We got to do more research on this because off the top of my head, D Ford was one of those guys. Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, the other thing is, kind of came out of nowhere. But Demarcus Lawrence did not have multiple. This was like, so D Ford didn't have multiple years of as bad as Bud Dupree. He was not as bad as Bud Dupree for multiple years. D Ford. I guess he was kind of close. D Ford, I think, is a good analog. The two. So 
Demarcus Lawrence, there were signs that he could be a player before this. Yeah, he didn't have multiple years of bad. He was just more of like a the difference, platoon player. Yeah, I think D Ford is a very close analog in terms of basically nothing until this season and bam. The difference is I think D Ford went from being like nowhere to actually like one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. And Bud, Bud Dupree is becoming pretty good. He, yes, exactly. Bud Dupree is looking good, right. not one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Like the other, particularly when you're the second guy, right? You Like TJ Watt is there dominating you're one of two you know it's i don't think it's so i think the the pattern is a good analog for d ford the difference like the level he's getting to is not a good analog for d ford pat mcafee's trying to tell you yeah look i might buy i might buy the laces thing if i hadn't seen adam vinatieri shank a bunch of other kicks so far this season and it looked like he just reached 45 or whatever he is and just forget how to kick like, this is not an aberration. This is not a random... The guy almost quit the game because he couldn't kick like, a few weeks ago. And then, like, clearly talked himself out of it, came back, nailed the game winner. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't trust... It's not easy kicking in Pittsburgh. He does not look like somebody who is comfortable kicking right now. Outside of a dome. Ev- anywhere. Yeah. Like, he's just been shanking kicks. Like, as I say, I might yeah, buy the laces might, thing. He still might have missed it. If he'd been Justin Tucker this year, right... And then, bam, we have a shank to the left. And, oh, look, the laces are in the wrong spot. Then I might buy it. But this yeah. is a guy that's been scattershot all season long. Looks like he just reached the ripe old age of whatever he is. And apparently that's where the kicker wall is. And then he just forgot how to kick. Like, you know, every now and again, Mason Crosby looks like he's never kicked the ball in his life. Yeah. It goes through like a phase. Where it's like, what the hell has happened? Why are all these good kickers all dealing besides Tucker? And Tucker missed an extra point line. It's like right? sometimes golfers get the yips where it's like no matter what they do, they're just... They can't connect to the ball, and it's firing off to the right and low and into the hedges. Yeah, but the yips are rare. Like again, but the I happens, used to play professional right? baseball. I don't know if you've known that. Huh. Okay, you should talk I, about that more. I should. I ran into like four or five guys that had the yips out of like thousands. You yeah. know, like there's four or five sure. guys where that happens too. You're telling me the 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 kicking job in the NFL. There's 32 jobs in the world. Yeah. Like, out of that 32, that like half of them shouldn't be getting the yips every no, day. No, no, I don't yeah. think that's what's happening. I think there's just a lot of bad kickers. Um, I, but I think sometimes you do see kickers develop the yips. And, like, Mason Crosby in particular seems every now and again to go through a phase where it's like something has just mechanically fallen apart in your run-up connection with the ball. And it looks like he's never kicked a ball in his life. Like, Chad Johnson has a better form than Mason Crosby when he goes through one of those phases. Now, he pulls his way out of it every time because he's still there. But Vinatieri looks like he's in that funk right now. It's like something is mechanically jacked with his run-up and connection, and he can't piece it back together what the problem is. Now, if he hadn't had that, I might say, fine. Clearly, this was a laces issue. Laces out, Dan. Everybody knows this. But having seen that from him all season, I'm not willing to buy that yet. I'm willing to... I'm the Occam's razor thing has me leaning more on the side of this was just another kick that Vinatieri shanked this year. Right, everybody's right. He probably would have missed anyway. Screwed him with good laces. This is what I'm saying. Finkel's fault. Yeah. Just to, to wrap up the Bud Dupree discussion. The only other the other guy was Olivier Vernon, who had that freakish like a contract half year of insane half year really. But he went from like good to great. What's up, Neil? Good to great. You're gonna do it. That's the book. It's a book he loves. Yeah. I yeah. read it too. It's a good book. <laughs> so Olivia Vernon went from good to great. 
D Ford went from bad to let's say great, like high end, mm-hmm. right? And Bud Dupree's going from bad to good to good. So I don't know, just a good good way of looking at it. But you know, the the Steelers for the first time since what Harrison and Woodley have yeah, two, two legitimate edge rushers. After like the good. Jarvis Jones experiments, the failed Bud Dupree for, first four years. They, they drafted T.J. Watt, and Bud Dupree breaks out in year five. So that's that's right. nice. Minka Fitzpatrick with that long pick six. That's a. I mean, this is one of the better games from him. He turned on some speed in that. He took he did. off. He went. That was that was a good play, good read, and that was what I was going to say about Brian Hoyer. Like he played reasonably well outside of that pretty bad decision. <laughs> I, I like that play because it was exactly the same throw that he made for the touchdown earlier. And he's like, ah, oh, it's open again. Oops. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it worked the first time. I mean, he. He really played well this time. He played well other than that. The first touchdown was awesome. I yeah. mean, that was up and away from coverage, up the seam, um, put it in a much better spot. Zach that first touchdown. made a few big plays. Yeah. They had, like their receivers actually stood up really big given that they were without uh, T.Y. And I think the most impressive part about the Steelers defensive performance, I, and I know they gave up, you know, some points, but they were getting after the quarterbacks, multiple quarterbacks against the offensive line that we ranked number one yeah, in well, the NFL. So- they have now those two edge rushers to go with a legitimate interior. Like they've had the interior yeah. for years and just have been completely unable to put edge rushers around them. Now they, and then they got TJ Watt. He's taken steps forward. Now Bud Dupree's getting in on the party. Now they've actually got a varied and difficult pass rush to stop. The Colts did a much better job run blocking than they did pass blocking. If you just look at their yeah. grading splits, uh, pretty drastic there. Um, so, yeah, we mentioned Minka making some plays. Joe Hayden was flying around the field making plays. So um, pretty nice there. I thought, you know, Mason Rudolph on the other side, just another, yeah, you know, just an okay performance. Your boy James Washington making some plays. Big plays. Some really good ones. Like, it was he a, had, I mean, the the pass behind him that he snagged one-handed was really good. I was honestly maybe more impressed by the one earlier where uh, Marvel Tell was all over him. Got his hand between Washington so he couldn't catch it. And then Washington, like, got to that picked it off the ground before it hit the floor. Oh yeah, that was a nice. That, that was, was a nice really play. impressive play. There was another one somewhere in there as well. Like, yeah, this He is made a, a nice one. So they um he had a go ball where Rudolph just kind of like left it inside. Yeah, like yeah, on yeah, purpose, a, like yeah. away from the leverage. Uh that was the best throw of the day for Mason Rudolph. Nice play by James Washington. So yeah. I mean, that was one of those things we expected there. We expected there to be some chemistry there from the two guys who are so good together at Oklahoma State. Um Juju Smith-Schuster not the best game. Um, Deontay Johnson, not the best game, but they did connect, you know, Washington and Rudolph there. So, mm-hmm. so the Steelers just keeping their, keeping their season alive here. Yeah. That's like, best they can. They're really not out of it yet, even though I think they probably should be. Yeah. Where are they? Just trying to scroll down here. Steelers now sitting at four and four. They're 500 now. Two games behind the Ravens in the AFC North. But I think more importantly, when you look around wild cards, yes, right now, the bills are in the top spot for the wild card and then the Steelers are right behind the Colts. Yeah. Who are five and three. Now that Steelers have the tiebreaker. And you know, we've been saying the Colts as a whole, I know so Jacoby Brissett went down. Hoyer played we we mentioned coming in, Brissett had maybe two good games mm-hmm. all season. This game by Hoyer was as good as any of those games by Brissett. Yes. And I think that kind of showed that's what the Colts are doing offensively. They're they're doing a pretty nice job overall offensively and they're winning not necessarily because of Brissett, um but i also think they've won so many close games and they're just they've just been playing with fire that and i'm saying all that to say the steelers are like still legitimately in this thing in part because they're they got some playmakers on d now yeah 
No, I mean, that, adding, a, adding a pair of legitimate pass rushers makes that defense so much more formidable. All right, Tennessee Titans at the Carolina Panthers. Ryan Tannehill come back down to earth. Are we officially done with the Titans? Just forever. Can we, yeah. just, can we, can we stop? Can we stop with them? Can we just skip their analysis today? <sighs> no, no Titans fans listen to us anyway. And they don't want to listen on a Monday after they lose. This is just like, like it, they're so unbelievably annoying to yeah. try and keep track of what they're going to do. They play. They play the Chiefs next week. And um, they'll probably like wallop, wallop them this by will be like 25 points. Mahomes comes back and the Titans win you know, like 38 to 12. Yeah. Against the Chiefs. That's definitely what's going to happen. <sighs> right. Right. This could be anything. I, I've given up trying to anticipate what the hell the Titans are going to do. I'm just looking at the Titans schedule. Chiefs, Jaguars, Colts, Raiders, Texans, Saints, Texans. They could win every game. They could lose every game. <laughs> That's basically them. Like, and they'll go three and three the year. And they'll finish seven and nine. Yeah. It's like Jeff Fisher's there when he isn't anymore. That's what it feels like. See, Jeff Fisher, like everybody, ah, Jeff Fisher, Mr. Seven and nine and all that stuff. I think his MO, though, was kind of like winning the game you're not supposed to win and losing the game you're not supposed to lose. Yeah. And a lot of coaches have that. They have that ability to kind of like get you up for games. It feels a lot like what the Titans are doing. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it, though. <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason to this. Like, yeah, you lost. They lose to the Broncos 16 to nothing. Why is that offensive line playing so badly? It hasn't been. Because it isn't that bad, with the possible exception of Nate Davis. They were bad, yeah. But I'm just saying, up until this point, they had been more a product of when they give up pressure, it yeah. always becomes a sack. I know, yeah, yeah. But so... A guy like Nate Davis feels like a player that needs a really good offensive line coach. Like, raw, powerful as hell, coming out of Charlotte. The ridiculous stance. Yeah, and you like you put him with a Dante Scarnecchia, etc. You know, one of the top offensive line coaches in the NFL, you might generate something really special. You put him with, you know, somebody else, and it doesn't go so well because all the flaws are the things that, are, that become exposed. And See, right now, he's he's drowning. See, I think when you look at, like, Conklin hasn't been terrible, but you've got regression from Taylor Lewan since he's been back. He's been better in recent weeks, but he was coming off his suspension. Roger Saffold has regressed. They picked him up. And then, other than that, like, Jamil Douglas and Nate Davis, Davis, you don't really have high expectations for them, really? No. I mean, Davis in particular, but... Davis yeah. is a third-round rookie, even as much as you like. We liked him as much as you could like a third-round rookie, which is like, man, he might trudge through a couple of years in the league, become a useful player. That's like every third-round offensive line prospect. Third-round raw rookie. So it, I mean, yeah. it's very much a product of where you land up, where you wind up. Land? <sighs> Stupid Titans. Can we just kick the Titans off the podcast? Can we just skip their analysis? <laughs> We're going to be wrong. The only interesting thing was when they made the quarterback switch, and now Tannehill's gone back to being Tannehill. It's just not interesting anymore. Kevin Byard's still good. True. Dory Jackson made some really good plays. Yeah. There was one like diving, leaping, soaring pass breakup deal that was really it was actually a really good pass by uh Allen. And but uh, Jackson just like hit the air and managed to get just enough to be able to bat it away. Um but He's it was gonna land like right in his receiver's hands. I think that's part of what uh, what makes the Titans difficult is they have 
they just have this good, solid all-around second. I, I, I've used the word solid 8 million times when describing the Titans in the last two years. They're just solid. They're yeah. solid. They're solid. Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan. Like, when you trot those guys out there in the secondary with Kevin Byard, like, you've, you're giving yourself a chance to win every every game. But there's also that volatility in the secondary and all that stuff that you just you can't bank on strong performances every week. That's why they have some weeks where they look great. Other weeks, not so much. This was something of a sort of bounce back game for Kyle Allen for the yeah, Panthers. Like after we wrote him off last week and yeah, said, we wh- told you so. Went back to being, if I can just put the ball in the right place, I've got yeah. receivers who can actually make some good plays. So DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and obviously Christian McCaffrey continued being a dominant you know, force until he got hurt. Um, but this, like Kyle Allen did just enough to basically facilitate his good players, um, which was ultimately like all they needed to do. That was what made them dangerous is that Cam Newton wasn't able to do that when he was hurt. Kyle Allen comes in, suddenly he is. Now you actually deal with the offense, not with the version of the offense they're currently stuck with. And it, it functions well when they're able to do that because they've got a lot of talent on there. Kyle Allen settling into that guy. It's like where the the big body of work's not great, but there's a, there's a small piece of the pie, Sam, yeah. that's very intriguing. And the thing is, if you analyze it as such, I mean, think about the difference between undrafted Kyle Allen and then first round Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. It's like if you have a small piece of the pie that's encouraging for an undrafted free agent, it's like, great, this is this is cool. This is this is a good thing to have. At worst, he ends up becoming our backup for Cam going forward and we feel good about him. Yeah. I mean this versus so the, Trubisky and it's like, man, this small pie, I really hope it gets bigger. The play of like a Kyle Allen or even a Brandon Allen, these guys this year should be eliminating this I this thing that I've railed against for years, the um emeritus backup quarterback position. Right, where you hang on to a guy that's been that last played ten years ago, because this is yeah, this is making your point right. Because these guys are able to come in having been undrafted with no arm talent, no physical tools whatsoever, and play as well as those guys. So why are you hanging around with some guy that last played ten years ago? Is thirty eight years old? Is just like racking up his NFL pension plan and wait, actually costing you more money. Matt Moore is proving you wrong. Well, in that system. Oh, okay. Um, but the you think point Kyle is, Allen would be as good as Matt Moore in that system? Yes. Mm. The point is you can get that level of play from almost anybody at this point. And Did you just call Patrick Mahomes a system quarterback? No. We heard it here first, guys. Nobody's ever said that. Sam Monson says Patrick Mahomes, system quarterback. Yeah, didn't say that. Um, oh. So if you desperately need the veteran leadership of that guy, hire him as a QB coach. And if you don't, don't have him there. Take up a roster spot, chewing up more of your cap than you need. That's what Get the did. guy that's an undrafted free agent because apparently there's no difference. Let's play this world. How good would Kellen Moore be in Andy Reid's system? <laughs> Kellen Moore in Andy Reid's system? Oh, he'd be so good. Would he? Yes. He wouldn't be able to get the ball to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill would be if like out of his it, range if he before he early saw. enough. You go one step drop, throw it as far as you can, let Tyreek <laughs> run under it. <laughs> I am telling you, Kellen Moore's touch and feel would be incredible. By the time he realized Tyreek Hill was going to be open, he wouldn't be able to get the ball to where he was going to be. Yeah. Um, so, Christian McCaffrey had another sweet game. Yeah. He is fun. He is. He's really good. Christian McCaffrey is a fantastic running back who is, I mean, he is the perfect sort of modern day running back in terms of being equally as good as a receiver um, as he is carrying the ball. He's very good between the tackles. He's just good at everything. The other thing, too, I, I like when you just look at the pass distribution for the Panthers. When you see a guy like DJ Moore, 
catch seven for 101 and Curtis Samuel three for 64 and Greg Olson has three catches and McCaffrey has his three catches including a touchdown that's tough to defend I mean those are skill sets that are difficult to defend when they're all working in sync with the well-called game and all that stuff and I thought the Panthers got got back on track nicely with that Mm -hmm. so Panthers win they did and the Titans did we kick we kicking them off the podcast well at least for now I mean certainly for this show all right, we're done. 30 uh, to 20, Panthers win. Lions and Raiders. Yeah, let's talk about that one. Madness in the finish. Crazy it finish. Was. Well, let's just let's get to let's discuss the rest of the game first. First off, fine. We talked about on the podcast the Matthew Stafford aggressiveness and and all that stuff and how we would have we would love to see that from Derek Carr. And that was this game, man. He was making throws. Yeah. He looked really good. And I I would love to see Carr unleashed more and more unleashed so this offense for the raiders is quietly cooking um like Derek carr is playing as well as he's played since that 2016 season where he looked like he could be one of the next great young quarterbacks before he got hurt they still don't really have weaponry um you know josh jacobs we talked about him being really good certainly on the ground he's hasn't made the plays you wanted to make as a receiver um but their receivers they, I mean, they're not good at all. Imagine if they had a guy like Antonio Brown. Yeah. Um, but, like, look at the guys that were getting snaps for them. Hunter Renfro was the guy making a couple of big plays in the game. That um, was a nice – I mean, Carr's making plays. That that was the game winner. Right. Trevor, Outside the pocket and creating. I mean, that was great. Yeah. Trevor Davis had a snap. Marcel Aitman had four. I'm a big Aitman fan. He, he had Aitman up the seam. You just, like – large people one of my guys zay jones played almost every single snap and the guy's only been in the building a couple of weeks um like they're making the they had three tight ends get significant amounts of snaps obviously waller being the main one but foster moreau Derek carrier like they're making this offense sing without the weaponry that looks like it should be capable of doing that which is pretty impressive and they got a disaster of a performance at center yeah. Andre James filling in for rodney hudson best pass blocking center in the game and you go to something that very much wasn't yeah, more in the run game, um, his struggles. People were yelling at us. I didn't even realize because, you know, we put our O-line rankings. They were yelling at us for not having the Raiders up there. A lot of people were wondering why the Raiders weren't up there. Mm-hmm. Only because Josh Jacobs is putting up numbers and Derek Carr's not getting sacked. Yeah. When it's like, first off, sacks are a QB stat for the most part. And a quick passing stat, a play calling stat. The fact that he's got one of the lowest average depth of target depths of target. That's why he's not getting sacked. Mm-hmm. And then run game-wise, Josh Jacobs going into the week, leading the league in the most yards after contact yep. per rush. So it's not it's not exactly a dominant offensive line performance, despite, yes, Colton Miller's taking a step forward, and like they've been, been better. better. They've yeah. been much better, but they're not like the best offensive line in the league here. No. All right, let's not get crazy. Yeah. Um, but this is – I was telling um, Rick, who's got some ties in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. likes the Raiders – I said, this is what I expected the Raiders to be last year. Yeah. I mean, this is why I bet on them to win more than six games last year. I thought that the offensive line wouldn't be as disastrous as it was last year. It's been better. I thought Derek Carr, I mean, he's going to, you know, play well enough to stumble you into six wins, right? Which is different from Denver having no quarterback and having a home field advantage stumble you into six wins. That's all. That's That was my Raiders reasoning last year, and they really underachieved, but they're doing a nice job this year. They are, yeah. Better job this year. I mean, we were a couple of weeks removed from saying, look, they're 
they're overrated. They're, they're like a Titans light. I mean, the offense in particular, I think, is moving in the right direction. I'm impressed by what they're doing, given the relative lack of receiving talent around there. Um, the defense is still a work in progress, though they came up big at the end of this game. Yeah, I mean, you're still... They, I know they have high expectations for a guy like Trayvon Mullen, who's their, uh, their fourth of their top 40 picks, the actual 40th pick of the draft. Um, he's been okay. In his few weeks, Daryl Worley back there. I mean, they're not really trotting out big names in the secondary. No. Carl Joseph had that really nice play in the end zone. I, why do people try to not like Carl Joseph when the, when he's on their team and overall he just makes more more good plays than bad? I don't know, but including the Raiders seem to not. That's what love I mean. The like they all. like they've been trying to get rid of him, and now he, anybody keeps he hasn't been perfect, but he still you know he makes some big plays for them. Yeah. So the end of this game was nuts. The Raiders score. Crazy play to Hunter Renfro in the back of the end zone with Carr, like trying to buy time for like five minutes back there. Thought he was, I mean, I can't remember who the receiver was on that side of the field, but there was a guy like trying to shake his man loose for like five minutes. And then eventually <laughs> Hunter Renfro like flies into the side of the end zone, catches the touchdown. Um, then the Lions end up sort of getting to, to their potential um, game winner, get right into the shadow of the goal line, clock is ticking down. We've got like eight seconds left. The Lions don't exactly look like they have any clue what they want to do. And the Raiders call a timeout. The Raiders stop the clock. And I, so I, I was l- kind of listening to the broadcast. I don't think it was Gruden. I think it was a player, right? That did it. I don't know. But either way, like of the two sides, the one that looked less chaotic and discombobulated was the Raiders. Like the Lions looked like they had no earthy idea what they wanted to do with this ball with eight seconds left in the shadow of the goal line needing to have some clue. So I know that the I know that the instant reaction is to be like, of course, LOL Raiders, you idiots, why'd you call timeout? However, if there and I know that the Lions looked very confused, but in that situation, the offense generally has the advantage. It's easier for them to get to the line, to call a play, and if you're not aligned properly, if you have one guy out of place, that's a touchdown. Right. Mm. I don't hate calling a time out there just to make sure that you're aligned properly. Think about how many times there's just wide open red zone touchdowns. Yeah. And all of it is is communication and alignment. And it's easier for the offense to communicate in that situation than the defense. Now, at the same time, yes, the Lions were panicking and I think they were going to get a snap off, but it was going to be very rushed. Yeah. That it, that was different and from it having certainly like wasn't going to be seconds. like the ideal play dialed up for it. It was going to be whatever right. the hell they could get. And it was probably going to be like to. a quick fade, like right. go, like man across the board. Yeah. They're going to throw a quick fade, just knock it down. And, and that was the likely scenario because we're at like eight seconds when they called the timeout. Yeah. I just don't think it was like as LOL worthy. And then you get to the, uh, then you get to the actual play they run, which of course is you want to, you want to put the ball in the hands of your big play threats when you can. So Logan Thomas was the guy that this was thrown at. Carl Joseph. I couldn't believe Stafford went like old, you know, with his sidearm. This is where Carl Joseph, yeah, Joseph made the big play, yeah. but Stafford, I couldn't believe he got the throw off. It was like that sidearm. It was actually a good throw, like as far as like getting it to the catch point. Yeah. And you got the big six, seven former QB receiver. Eh, I don't hate it, but yeah, when you get Galladay and Marvin don't Jones, love don't love it. You have other, you have other guys who are incredible. So that was in the one situations. That was the one NFC North loss that made sense to me. Yeah, yeah, that was fine. The other ones were all nuts. That was fine. Uh, but I, I loved it. I think we, I can't remember if we called it a potential shootout, but I, I think we said that on the podcast, right? Like a Stafford versus Carr shootout. That's what it ended up being. It was a good game. Now, do you want to defend Jameis Winston? 
I mean, just that one play. I mean, for throwing away the ball like a lunatic? Got knocked into him. Because apparently a fat guy touched him. Well, they didn't lose because of Jameis in this one. No. Jameis played, you know, I think we called this one a potential shootout too. You just got Jameis. Jameis is going to make a ton of plays like he did, make it plays down the field. Is there a more ridiculous um, <clears throat> quarterback or wide receiver cornerback one-on-one matchup in terms of body type than DK Metcalf going, going up against Jamel Dean? No. Incredible. You've got Metcalf, who's like 225 pounds of chiseled, like, marble sculpture going up against Jamel Dean, who is somehow like a munchkin linebacker who runs a 4-3. I don't really buy the 4-3. <laughs> what do you mean you don't buy it? It was They timed it. I just don't think he plays like that. Like, okay. yes. The, the thing about 40 times is it's like, here's this guy's speed in a snapshot of time. Well, also in ideal conditions without pads on. Like, uh, it's the not idea I- of not wearing pads when you're running a 40 and expecting nothing to change is kind of insane. Yeah, I just, here's my only thing with 40 times. It, it's a good, it's a, like a good barometer. It's informative and all that stuff. I like the fact that everybody's under the same conditions to test it at least. But the idea that once you're a 4-3 guy, you're six years into a guy's career and you're like, oh, he runs 4-3. And you're not even factoring. Like, they, they mentioned on the broadcast, there was the one play where Jamel Dean looked like he was running a 5-3 trying to chase after DK Metcalf on a crossing route just because he was fatigued. Like, his Madden fatigue bar was really low. Therefore, you're not a 4-3 guy anymore. Um, they just wore Dean out in this game. And he made a bunch of plays, too. This was one of those games where it's like he broke up three passes but also gave up nine for 155. Yeah. But they were clearly trying to target the big oversized line linebacker-sized rookie corner. Reasonably so. Um, this game is also full of, like, insane, like, bursts of speed. Did you see uh, Devin White chase down Chris Carson and force a fumble? Yeah. Like Carson broke into the open field, was like took off. White's Devin fast. White t- rips after him, runs him down from like five yards, just tomahawks down on the ball, punts it straight out. of. Was that the one that went straight out of bounds? Um, like in a straight line, White's got some quicks. Yeah. No, Change he direction, does. less so. But, you know, running down Chris Carson is easy. I mean, Seattle really attacked everybody in the Bucks secondary. The one thing we liked about the Bucks from a team building standpoint around the draft is that they're like throwing a lot of resources at the cornerback position. The idea, we don't know if Jamel Dean or if Sean Murphy bunting are going to stick or if Vernon Hargraves can truly turn around his career consistently, but they're at least trying. Um, this was not a great day for them across the board, though. Russell Wilson playing like the MVP that he is mm-hmm. making play after play. He made a fourth quarter comeback that ended up in a missed field goal. Didn't matter. They go to overtime. He leads the game winning drive in overtime as well. I mean, he is just, he's taken a few sacks. Maybe they shouldn't take Again, he's not perfect across the board, but as far as like just throwing the ball throw for throw, I mean, he's, he's been at a different level, I think than others around the league this year. Yeah. He's been phenomenal. Um, that connection he has with Tyler Lockett remains pretty spectacular. DK Metcalf had a big game, largely because he got to, you know, victimize Jamel Dean for half the time. Um, but that was, this was a decent looking Seahawks offense, even if it took them a little bit to get going. Wilson goes four for six for one thirty-one and two scores on 20 plus yard throws, intermediate middle four for four for 54. I mean, he's just, he's attacking all levels of the field pretty efficiently. And this was also the game. I, we always joke about Seattle and their game flow and what they're comfortable with. They did put the ball in Wilson's hands a lot more in this game because, as they mentioned on the broadcast, well, the Bucks are leading the league in run defense, which is more 
nobody's running against them because they can pass against them. Well, also they were so they were trailing for a lot of this game for most, or, you know, a decent chunk oh, of yeah. this game. And I could see them being like very uncomfortable with man, we did it again. We're putting it yeah. on Russell, you know, all on Russell, and you know, we're not playing defense. This was as close it. to that game as we talked about of them actually needing to lean on Wilson more. Uh, Forty-seven dropbacks, and this he showed up. Right, this is the one of those games where usually in this scenario. You get something. You get something less than ideal. Russell Wilson. They're like, see, we need to establish the run more. We need to keep it out of his hands because when we ask him to do this, we don't get as good of an efficiency. This we did. Like Wilson is was absolutely dominant in this game. Passer rating over a hundred in every possible scenario. No pressure. Pressure blitz. No blitz. Um, almost nine yards per attempt. Like grades well across the board. This was the Russell Wilson game that would sort of shut up the idea that he can't do this. Yeah, I mean, the numbers... Now, it's only one and against the Bucks secondary, but still. Yeah, but I mean, this is the type of game that you want to have... If, if you're the Seahawks, this is the type of evolution you would want in Russell Wilson's game. I continue to compare him to Brady and Roethlisberger earlier in their career, who were a little bit... They were a little bit more protected by defense in the run game, but then there was a point in, the, in, the, in their career where it's like, Big Ben, go throw the ball 40 times and win. Brady, go throw the ball 50 times and win. Like, just go do it. Wilson... Drop back 47 times, as you said, and goes 29 for 43 for 378, five touchdowns um, other than, you know, again, a couple of those sacks and a couple, you know, difficult misses. I mean, this is it's a dominant outing from Russell Wilson. The stats matched our grade. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to become that high volume passer compared to those other guys, but it's important, I think, for him to demonstrate to the team that he can do it because they clearly don't think he can. Like they think that that is yeah. a weakness of his game. And as I say, it's one game against the Bucks, So it's not like it's going to completely change their mind, but it's something to point to and say, all right, look, he does, he can do this. It's, it's definitely in his uh, makeup. I, I tweeted out that the Seahawks looked like the chiefs on their opening drive because they just didn't run at all. It was like play action and boot and screens. And it was just, I love, that well-scripted and the defense feels like they're just running in circles every single play. You got to move in horizontally one way, vertically the next day. You're just moving them all over the place. And that was the opposite of like body blows and establishing the run that Seattle usually likes. So I thought they, I thought they played that well. They scored 40 points and that's good offense. Yeah. All right. Cleveland Browns at the Denver Broncos. <sighs> 24 to 19 win for Denver. Yeah. Brandon Allen making his first NFL start. Yes. Small hands. He's got his little hands. He did an okay job. I mean, his he did he did fine. I think the two touchdowns he had, pretty inflated by an incredible pass, uh, incredible play by Cortland Sutton. That was winning. Impressive how much credit people were trying to give Brandon Allen for that throw. It's like Sutton just went up and mossed a guy. I mean, that was a pass that essentially is broken up. We always talk about the fifty-fifty ball is really twenty-eighty. It's broken up 80% of the time. Cortland Sutton went and won it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, 30 plus air yards or whatever. Other people are going to give the quarterback credit for that. For us, that's all on the receiver. And then Noah Fant goes 75 yards on a pass. You know, it's a positive grade. He hit Noah Fant. Nice job. An obnoxious bit of defense. Terrible defense. Three people should have tackled him, and all three of them just fell off. It's not like Noah Fant is, you know, Rob Gronkowski or anything. Like, they just fell off. I mean, that is what Noah Fant's best at, though. Running in a straight line. Straight line quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't so. 65 yards after the catch on that play. It's not even like he just broke into space and outran people. Like, he literally just ran and people fell off a tackle. Like, three people 
had a you genuinely expect them to make that tackle play and all three of them just fell to the floor and barely slowed him down yeah that's ridiculous um the cleveland browns remain an exercise in everything going wrong uh whether it's getting mossed when you're in good coverage against court on sudden whether it's three people failing to tackle a guy running in a straight line um whether it's baker mayfield continually missing guys that he should hit in the back of the end zone um whether it's like so every time odell beckham plays a game you get the highlight reel of him pregame warm-up where he's just snagging passes out of the air one-handed as if it's nothing, right? And then you get him playing in a game right now, not making catches that he should make. Now, he actually had a reasonable game. Um, got Chris Harris a few times, like really narrow plays where Harris is right there. Yeah, right. Um, and Beckham's just able to make the play over the top or, or around him or whatever. But he's continually just not making the like for a guy that's able to do that. You should see more from him on a consistent basis because that's next level talent that some receivers out there just don't even have a prayer of, and yet they're able to make some of the same plays that he's not making. Yeah, what do you, what do you think's happening there? I don't know. I really don't, um, and I don't understand why this collection of receivers is amazingly unable to get on the same page with a, with Baker Mayfield. I also don't understand why, given the collection of receivers they have, the one guy that has consistently been on the same page with Baker Mayfield is Rashad Higgins. Now, obviously, you know, it's he's one of my, the guys that I like to talk about. No, this is where about. you have good reason for this. Right. But because every other receiver has is hanging him out to dry yes. by not running routes correctly. And even if you want to say, okay, that Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are untouchable, right? They're in that category of too much money, too much, you know, status. There's no way we can like take snaps off them. They are the ever presence in this team. There's zero reason that Antonio Callaway or Kaderil Hodge should be getting snaps over Rashad Higgins. Now I know Callaway made a nice play. You know, there was a screen that he busted off and took a reasonable amount of 35 yards or whatever it was. He can catch and run screens. I mean, he's awesome. Right. But again, it's like your pie chart, right? How many of those things has he, how much bad has there been before that one bubble screen that he took a reasonable distance, right? Now you want my pie chart. No, I don't. I'm just saying that as long as you're drawing it up, it's the same logic, right? How much bad has happened with Antonio Callaway on the field before that one play where he busted off and he goes, see, he's an athletic talent. We need to feed him the ball. Whereas Higgins is just consistently in the right place at the right time, and Baker Mayfield actually trusts him to put the ball on him. So I, I do not understand why you do not have him as a far more heavily featured part of this offense, given how badly it's out of sync. He got 15 snaps out of 75 yesterday. Yeah. That's that's just inexcusable. There's no logical reason for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, uh, I said that the receivers are hanging out the quarterback, hanging the quarterback out to dry. It does work both ways. There There was a route. Landry's running a shallow cross. He's supposed to go under the linebacker. He goes over him. Baker throws it right to the linebacker. Now Baker's timing has been off mm-hmm. on a bunch. And then the receivers have been off on a bunch. Again, like faking like they're going, acting like they're going to run a dig. And then they go, I mean, all these things. Yeah. How are they so off as far as miscommunications goes? Because I'm always amazed at how how much receivers and quarterbacks are on the same page at the NFL level. I right. mean, it's amazing. The timing and precision of a passing game and maybe and you come to expect that in the NFL but when it's off it's ugly and, and it shows how much everything needs to be such precision so does that always now are we going to always point it back now to Freddie at the top and say 
there's penalty issues. The old line's <laughs> underachieving. The receivers and quarterback aren't on the same so page. This is, the defense isn't tackling with effort and all that. I mean, does this all, are we going to all blame up top? This is a fascinating. So the Browns conversation this year is one that cannot be had without nuance, right? And yet it's obviously this is a world in which nuance is a dirty word and cannot exist. There needs to be something that is the, the problem, right? Bring back, needs, bring back nuance. There sure. needs to be one thing that we can point to as the sole source of all the blame. But what's so amazing with watching the Browns right now is how complete the ineptitude is and how wide-ranging and how the fault lies everywhere. Um, so they had a big thing during the game about how Freddie Kitchens had re-emphasized discipline in this game. Um, and I'd made the point that penalties are not okay. And if you accept penalties, then you, you, know, you become the problem. So they reinstituted like sprints or, or push-ups or something ridiculous for penalties, right? And it's like, well, it's so all done, right? Now you can't accept that kind of thing. And that's a huge step. Now it worked, right? They didn't have any penalties on offense in this game. But at the time they were making that point, they had three points. It's like, it's not like this fixed anything. We just, all right, we're not having a false, we're not, it's not first and 15 every drive, but we still suck. Like, we're still not executing the offense. The only good thing in this team or on this offense pretty much all season long has been Nick Chubb. Um, and even like against the Patriots, Chubb ends up fumbling twice. So there's, there's literally no area where you can't point to and find fault, whether it's Odell Beckham not making some of the routine plays he should make, whether it's Jarvis Lant or the receivers generally not being on the same page as Mayfield, whether it's Mayfield missing throws he should make, whether it's him bouncing from pockets. Or he puts it up to Demetrius Harris, who just has no idea that he's going to jump out of bounds. The, you're talking about the one in the back of the end zone? Yeah. I think that was overthrown. I mean, it's a little high, but if he just stops running, he just jumps up and catches it and lands in the end zone. That happens all the time in the NFL. He's catching that and landing in the end zone. Um, but anyway, the, my point is everything is wrong with this team. There is literally no area in which you can look at it and say, that's functioning fine. There's no issues here. Everything is a disaster. And I, th- yeah, I think ultimately that does come back to the head coach. Like Somebody has to carry the can for it, and that's his job. So ultimately the buck does stop with him but the problems are everywhere it's amazing like it, i mean the memes right now circulating given what baker mayfield has on his okay face. those are hilarious like by the way know, i wanted to talk to you about potential uh november stuff and oh yeah we kind of missed the boat it's already the fourth what do you mean you're supposed to start november on the first of november but uh, but i did fourth of no- i did i got it what? i just I just once i lose this we're no we're you have to like start it you have to it, the shaving has to commence on the f- on the first. We'll, we'll talk. We'll you talk. Have to after. go from nothing. You can't like have a beard and then just randomly decide to shave. I'm it just going to go. I'm just going to grow a stash. You can't like, but you have to start from nothing. You can't go from. I started from nothing last week. You have no. You, you can't. All right. Anyway, it has to be st- the stash. Baker looks funny. The memes are hilarious. Well, right so now. yeah, like 18 months as a brown turns him from like you know well groomed Baker Mayfield in a suit into like this disheveled. Tramp in an ill-fitting overcoat and, a, and the most ridiculous mustache you're ever going to see in your life, looking oh. like he's just seen a ghost as it well. Is. Like he's standing there, not only looking disheveled, like he just crawled out from an underpass, but like this vacant look in his eyes, like he's just seen his entire life taken, ripped up in front of his face and tossed off into the sewer. It is pretty funny. And and the thing is, like that could well have been what's happened. Like it, it's one of those things where the photo could easily have been just taken at an awkward moment, and that's what you look of like at the time. Having said that, 
given what's happening to him right now, I could easily see that being his like default look right now. What kind of amazed me though is that so he he they obviously Baker Mayfield. He's one of these guys that grows a beard in like seven hours. Um, for some reason, but before this game, he decided that the move was to shave it into a Fu Manchu, like Paul Senior handlebar mustache. Try something. No, you don't have to try that. This is what I was talking. We were talking outside. Like, I've done a lot of weird facial hair things in my life, right? But most of them you sort of do just for giggles, and you keep it amongst a small circle of people. I would not be doing those like in front of a nationally televised game. You know, yeah. that's not where you experiment with that kind of thing. Um, this went so badly that apparently he decided to shave it off in the locker room after the game and somehow turned it into something worse. He somehow took a full on handlebar Fu Manchu mustache and turned it into something worse, which looked like just I don't even know how to describe the thing that's on his face right now, except to say a mistake. It's not as bad as how the Browns are playing. It's right there. Like, uh, back I think it's close. Where we just said everything is bad. Oh. The mustache is just another of the things Can't that is bad. Shave from, were they using the wrong cleats or something, too? I mean, everything's they, wrong. They were using uh, ineligible cleats. The Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham were not permitted to take the field in the cleats they were wearing. Because it would be a shame to ruin the overall fine aesthetic of that brown sludge that they wear as uniforms. Plus, they were wearing brown, and the Broncos were wearing orange. Like, right. Everything about this game was awful. This was just the worst game of the year. So, um, Good job by Denver. We mentioned that the, their defense has played pretty well this year. And um, one of the stories of the season, this Alexander Johnson. I can't remember if we told his story on the pod or not. I don't think. No, you, talked to, you told it to Austin. So he is grading incredibly for us right now. He's a 27-year-old rookie out of Tennessee. He was uh, when he was a freshman back in like 2011 or whatever it was. He was one of the top prospects in the nation. He was named AJ Johnson. He was a fantastic player at Tennessee. Um, I got to research it more, but something happened with like rape charges that were essentially. It took four years for him to be cleared, and now here he is. What's that, Brian Banks style? Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know any of the other details, so I'm not saying like, hey, good job, you were fine. I don't know any any of the uh, any of the other details other than. He's now named Alexander Johnson, and he's playing some really good football for the Broncos. Played 62 snaps, um, or he didn't play any snaps last year, but had, you know was was active for a game last year and this year, just tearing it up mm-hmm. in the middle of the field uh, for the Broncos. So um, nice game by Derek Wolf, Mike Purcell, just one of those. Yeah, you know they're they're a six win team, <laughs> creeping toward creeping toward six wins there, Denver. That's what you're doing now. Denver have a quarterback that's taking the snaps. They do ruin that story. It's going to really turn their season around. Good job. I mean, Brandon Allen, he was solid, not 125 passer rating solid. Thanks yeah, to Corey okay. Sutland and bad Browns defense. I mean, slash no offense. Yeah. How many yards did he have? And like almost all of them came on those two plays. Like he was okay. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Philip Lindsay did a really good job in this game. Yeah. Yeah. So Brandon Allen had 193 passing yards and the, 75 on the fans play and like 30, whatever. On right. So like a hundred of those came on two plays where at best you would say he put the ball where it needed to go once and gave his guy a shot in the other one. Like, yep. you know, Brandon Allen was fine. Philip Lindsay was really good in this game. Yeah. Like this got kind of close at the end. And then Lindsay basically iced it by yeah, making a couple of big plays against the defense. All right. The other. The game make no sense. AFC West, NFC North. Matchup, Los Angeles Chargers 26, Green Bay Packers 11. What in the hell happened? So this was that game where we talk about 
okay, the best way to beat Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, all these guys, keep them off the field, right? Yeah. The Chargers go like eight minutes on their first drive and just take up the whole clock, and they just keep kicking field goals. Yeah. Like they're dominating this game and kicking field goals. So you, you take up half the quarter. The Packers, I think they go three and out or whatever. And then, you know, the Chargers are just playing this ball control, kick a field goal at the end of the drive type of game. And, and it just it's putting a ton of pressure on the Packers offense, which needs to do a better job of, you know, picking up first downs, because if you don't pick up first downs, you go three and out. But the Packers ran only 18 plays in the first half. And there was a point into the third quarter where they were averaging 1.8 yards per drop back, including all the sacks that were taken. This was just an inept all-around performance by the Packers. They got pretty much a garbage time touchdown with like six minutes left in the game. But this was this was kind of like the Chargers team we expected coming into the season, despite not having any of the players that we expected them to have coming into the season. That's how they played. But every every time the Packers had a big play or uh, needed a big play offensively, it's like Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa just dominating up front. Yeah, that so quietly, David Bakhtiari hasn't had a particularly good year at right. all. Like he became the goal standard of pass blocking on the offensive line, particularly at left tackle. And he's been, he's had a rough couple of games this year. Like, and now to be fair, they've come against good players like Bosa, Engram, uh, the Vikings was the other one where he struggled. So it's not like he's getting beaten up by turkeys, but like mm, turkey, you expect him to be a complete, you, you expect him to lock down the left side of the line and forget about it. And yeah, this is pretty really much his happened. Sorry. It's, this is his worst pass blocking season since his rookie year. Yeah. So, um, so that's an idea. Worst year rest, since rookie the rest year. of the offensive line didn't fare much better in this game. No, it was just kind of rough. Ironically, with the exception of Billy Turner. <laughs> it is ironic. The number one guard in the NFL. Rodgers completed um, two passes beyond 10 yards, 0 for 5, throwing 20-plus yards down the field. And, you know, on the short stuff, it was just, you know, 13 for 20 uh, up to 10 yards. Or the zero to nine yard range. Sorry, like the, I mean, it was just like a yeah, and a lot of that was just like garbage time and you know taking the underneath stuff and um, just a meh performance all around by the really, Packers I, offense. And then there was again, it's just a failure to make plays across the board. There was a deep ball to Alan Lazard that he just seemed to lose track of. Was that in the sun? I mean, so that's I the other part. Think so. too. I think he was just so. It, I think it was when you're like concentrating on the hand fighting aspect. And then by the time you realize that you have to adjust to the ball, it's too late to make it happen. So you could also tell like Devonte Adams was still banged up. Like he, he caught a ball in space and it was just like, all right, I'm going to make a move. But it like looked like me on the court, right? Hmm. My brain saying one thing and my body saying no. Okay. Okay. So Adams was banged up. That was pre massage gun, Steve, though. You're a different. Oh, now I'm great. I'm right. Loosey goosey and ready to go. Um, Anyway, this felt like like the fact that Rodgers had been tearing it up for a couple straight weeks, throwing to guys like Jake Kumaro and Alan, Alan Lazard and all that stuff, that was like a credit to Rodgers for being able to elevate those guys. It's almost like this whole thing went in reverse. Like when you're throwing to those guys, there'll be some growing pains, and then you kind of get used to them, and then you it, it just went in reverse. Like if you told me he's going to throw to a banged-up Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and all those guys, you'd think, there'd be some issues with the pass game. And this is when it finally really showed up. Yeah. So like green Bay's offense stank. And then uh, the Chargers' offense, I almost call them San Diego. Uh, their offense Thanks, Kelly. was uh, 
cooking. Like, again, Keenan Allen hasn't been the source, but Mike Williams had a couple of monster plays. On Jair. Jair, who's had nice a rough go of it. Um, Austin Eckler is still grading really well. Hunter Henry was ridiculous. Beat, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven different players for receptions. Um, he looks, again, like, you know, one of the next great young tight ends. He's really good. So, yeah, the Chargers offense was kind of rolling. The Packers just couldn't get anything going. It'd be interesting. So Rodgers was talking after the game about how this was like a good thing that they they started to get a little bit out of control listening to their own hype. And this is probably a really good thing for them to basically say, you know, you're not that good. You got some work to do. It'd be interesting to see how they do bounce back for that, given that's how he's taking it. Yeah. I mean, we've always said that about the Rodgers, Brady, Deshaun Watson. Like when you start to doubt them and and when they get that whole, I hate to say, I'm not going to say chip on the shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. I'm not going to say that. Okay. They know how to bounce back. Yeah. I'll say that. Rodgers can bounce back. Definitely. I expect him to. I mean, good game by the Chargers. Yeah. It was death by a thousand paper cut type game that they did. Except those Mike Williams plays. Except the Mike Williams plays where he caught caught two for 102 (laughs) against Jair. Jair continues to do his Marcus Peters impression. Locked down for a a lot of time, but he gave up four for 129 overall in this one into his coverage. Right. One game left. And Baltimore Ravens, 37 New England Patriots, 20 on Sunday night football. Patriots have given up like 90-something points all season, and 37 of them came yesterday. Yeah. Now seven came from the offense. This was this was such a weird game because, like, the Ravens look like they should have just walked away with it. 17 nothing up, and then the sort of typical... Muffed punt. Right. We think we're, we think we're finally putting a beat down on the Patriots, and then, oh, look, a play breaks the other way. Muffed punt, Patriots recover, suddenly we're 17-7. Like they were seventeen nothing down, looking really rattled and in, in a pretty deep hole, and then they immediately get the ball back and it's it's a ten point game, um, and then they bring it back to quite close, and then it, it just, then the then a bunch of weird turnovers and plays break either way, and the Ravens end up going away by the end of it. But this was like the game where, look, everything we said heading into this game, as good as the Patriots have been. They really haven't faced A, anybody, B, any quarterback, and C, something this unique. All three of which, I think, kind of played a factor into it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at um, what the Ravens did offensively, I mean, it, it, it was it's a fine line both ways, though, too, I think. I mean, they're, they're a, a, third, a third down early on, and Chris mentioned this, like Lamar making that play while getting hit, awesome. There was a play late in the game where the Patriots go zero blitz. This was like everybody saw it. And and again, the Sunday night football broadcast, fantastic job showing it. You could see the defense. You see that there's no safeties. You know what's coming. It was the thing that this was ghost time. This was what spooked Darnold into four picks. And Lamar stands in there and makes a big time throw to Mark Andrews. Jump ball to Mark Andrews. Yeah. Not not a jump. I mean, that was a well-placed. I mean, it was jump ball as well. No, it was up and away from coverage. It was a great throw. Yeah, well, it was a play that required your tight end to jump higher than the other guy. Well, jump ball implies 20-80 ball. That was a great throw. Anyway, it was a bunch of key third downs. There was the fourth down conversion that may have been an offensive pass interference. <laughs> Whatever. That pass interference exist. is like, a, it's it's insane now. That doesn't There's exist no rhyme in the NFL reason now. anywhere. Um, but the Ravens kept, like, there was a bunch of, like, must-make plays that the Ravens offense made to, su- to yeah. sustain offense. Right. And I think that's a lot of what um, 
what you need against New England. It's key third downs, key fourth downs, whatever it might be. The aggressiveness going forward on fourth down. So Harbaugh continues to make a lot of the right decisions as far as um, you know that aggressiveness goes. Um, and that's how you beat teams like New England. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots are still really good. You, you know, you're going to need to play well to beat them. But I think this just clearly showed that their, their sort of statistics and their record earlier in the season was at least somewhat inflated by the fact that they really hadn't faced so, any challenge yet. I, I just want to say, I, I honestly, I think the defense was never going to give up four points per game. Of course. They, that was pretty obvious. And they're going to face Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott and all these much yeah. better quarterbacks. That was a really good... So maybe it's just because I kind of like Stranger Things, the show, but that was a really good like segment graphic thing that the that the broadcast did where they showed here's the quarterbacks they faced the first half of the season. Yeah, right. And then you flip to the upside down and now here's the the bad right. monsters that are heading around the corner. That's like all of the good ones that are yet to show up. Yeah. It's like I mean, that's a real thing. They're gonna A face better teams, B face much better quarterbacks. You know, and they, we've just seen what's happened when they they had to step the game up. And I, but I also think that their offense should play better as they like, they should play better than they have. Well, they're so they're late to the game this year in terms of like the Patriots have done this a few times where you head into the year and you're like, I don't know what this is going to look like. And I don't know that they know what this is going to look like. And then they kind of, they figure it out midway through the year. It's like, okay, this is what the offense is going to be this year. This is this iteration of it. And that's where they roll. And then, then it becomes really hard to stop. I because the you know the Antonio Brown thing they've been chopping and changing with these receivers and all their fullbacks <laughs> yeah. having zero time. I mean they made. I think the only really bad personnel decision that they made was going into the season with Matt Lacoste and uh, tight end. Ryan Izzo at tight end and yeah. then an aging Ben Watson. So I think just generally they're later to it this year than they have been previously. And yeah. you know bringing in Mohamed Sanu, etc. I think it's going to take. They're still going to get there because they know what they're doing, right? But it's going to. It may take them until the final few weeks of the season to actually figure out what this offense is supposed to be this year. And you know the Patriots again, kind of typically the Patriots team that rolls into the playoffs might be a significantly different team on offense than the one that like played the first three months of the season yeah i mean even this they played with 11 personnel so three wide receivers one back one tight end the entire game this is a team over the last couple of years was like more two backs than anybody else in the league they love having multiple tight ends out there especially when you had gronk as one of them so yeah they're continuing to kind of morph before our eyes um so yeah, yeah basically 10 guys played every single snap on offense right um Philip Dorsett missed one compared to everyone else, but the like the eleventh guy was the only guy that rotated essentially. Yeah, it was it was Dorsett, Sanu, and Edelman playing receiver with with Watson at tight end. Nikhil Harry was inactive. I think you know they're maybe expecting him to be a part. To me, the the Patriots' issues they move the ball really well overall. They struggled in the red zone and then the Edelman fumble. But as far as like moving the ball up and down the field after a slow start, they were fine. Um, I wonder, they have not passed the ball well in the red zone at all for about two years now. I wonder how much they think Nikhil Harry, for all of his flaws, can be a contested catch red zone guy. And even if that's just all he is, he could be a big help. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know how ready he is. I'm still genuinely point. fascinated by what he's going to be at the next level. Yeah. Because, I mean, that is his calling card, this idea of contested catches in tough situations. And that's always a really low percentage play to be banking on. I mean, there was a play 
that a perfect play in the Buffalo game, right? Cole Beasley runs a whip route yeah. wide the hell open against Quentin Dunbar. That was the the Edelman play from right. the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. So everyone thinks of, you know, for red zone threat, I need a guy to be 6'5". I need him to go up and moss a defender in tight situations, and the ball needs to be in perfect position. Or you could get a guy who runs really good routes and just have him shake the corner by five yards running a whip. Yeah. Like, get guys that can get open. They are your best red zone targets. Now, Nikhil Harry doesn't get open, but he did seem to be able to win those ridiculous contested catch situations at a rate that you shouldn't be able to do long term. I think ultimately you just want a combination of both guys, right? You got the contested catch guy if you need him. You got one or two guys that can shake some man coverage. Right now, New England's really struggling in the red zone. I would say just to discuss the Ravens offense, man, I mean, this was you talk about having the defense on a string. Look, the Ravens, just because it was on national TV, I don't know that it was against the Patriots and they they dominated for the most part. Um, So you could kind of call it a breakout game, but this is how they've been running their offense the last couple of years. It's misdirection. I mean, Lamar with like the late the late mesh. Mm-hmm. is so tough to defend. How do you do it? And his burst and acceleration is incredible. Um, I mean, they're just so tough to defend, and that, that was definitely all on display. for. And then you got Mark Ingram running downhill for 115 on 15 carries. I mean, that's it's tough to defend. It is. It's. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's what makes this offense so interesting is that whatever you're going to see, it's different than everybody else. Nobody else is running their offense like this, and that in and of itself poses a massive challenge. Like the fact that it's the fact that the individuals within it are also really good is a bonus. But the fact that you're showing a team in the space of a week something completely different than they're used to seeing is a massive problem for everybody, including the Patriots. Yeah, that was that was a clinic. It was also one of those games like I think Lamar made that really nice throw to Mark Andrews. But this was a lot of, you know, open pass in the flat and open pass here and there like it was and it's his skill set. Yeah, this is what we talked about. That's opening up all of this stuff. So it's one he doesn't have to make a ton of special throws yeah. every week. I love that he did. His ability to carry the ball to. makes his life easier in the passing game because it's right. opening things up for him. So he doesn't need to be the most accurate quarterback in the world. Um when he is, it's a huge it's massive, right? It helps everything because now you can make these value add throws on top of all that. But just doing what he does makes the passing game get much more or makes the passing game much more manageable because it opens everything up. Now, all I have to say is this would be a fantastic AFC playoff rematch mm-hmm. whenever it may occur. Um, also for the Ravens, they have only two losses. They're the they're in the driver's seat right now for a bye. And then for battling the Patriots for the number one seed, they're one game behind the Patriots, but of course they have the tiebreaker. So that go, this goes a long way toward potential number one seeding because the Patriots have this more difficult run over the next few weeks. If the Ravens can hold pace or at the very least, just getting their own buy in the playoffs. Yeah. I think the NFC is definitely deeper, but the AFC features three teams. I think that could be really fun if they get to the playoffs or when they get to the playoffs, the Patriots, some combination of the Patriots, Chiefs and Ravens playing each other should be pretty special in the playoffs for them. Yeah, completely agree. Um, Jimmy Smith came back for the Ravens, by the way. Look good. He played well. When they're intact in that secondary, they're really good. I also love the way Chris and the guys on the broadcast highlighted Earl Thomas and the fact that he's not just playing center field. I would not want him 
covering guys in man coverage. Out no, not necessarily playing man coverage, but his ability to blitz, drop into short zone. That's where I would lo- like his ability yeah. to that was do some really, different things. There. That was a really freaking smart thing by the Patriots offense to basically high, to be able to manufacture moving Earl Thomas out from where he's dangerous as hell. Yeah, to where he's basically trying to play trying to play cornerback against a guy you think is a superior receiver because, you know, James White is one of the best receiving running backs in the NFL. Manufa- a, manufacturing that matchup, which in and of itself is beneficial, but B, having the knock-on effect of taking the most dangerous center fielder off the field and moving him over to the side right. is genius. Yeah, that was well done. Earl did have a pick on uh, Brady's well, prayer back well, in the, where in the, was in the fourth quarter. Playing center Playing field. center field. And not even that deep. He was a little shallow, right? Yeah. You know, flipped his hips and did the whole, which is what he does, right? That, that's why. That's what I'm saying. The Being other able to take him out of that scenario was incredibly smart. The other thing to keep an eye on. You talk about how difficult it is to play receiver with Brady and like the being on the same page. Sanu had nine catches or whatever he had, and there was still multiple pl- plays where you're just like, you can tell they're not on the same page still. So that's the other kind of like work in progress with uh, New England's offense. Yep. So that's it. Done. Week nine in the books, other than primetime dimes, Monday Night Football, Giants and Cowboys. It's going to be an awesome game. It's my preview. Okay, fair enough. I uh, think uh, I think Daniel Jones does a lot of nice things and makes people happy tonight. Yeah? Yeah. I think he throws the ball to Dallas defenders at least, let's say once. No. Once. Definitely going to happen once. He's going to make some huge plays. I may do that as well, but he's definitely going to throw the ball to a Dallas defender at least once. Or it's going to be one of those games where it's like, Hey, maybe Daniel Jones is really good. Oh, maybe he's not that good. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's not that good. Well, that's every Daniel Jones game. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Thanks for tuning in to week nine. Are we going to be back Wednesday? Uh, Yeah. Back Wednesday with some Stevenson and our midweek look at mailbag. The, the mailbag and the rest of the week. at BFF.com. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you guys Wednesday or Thursday on your podcast apps. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.